Hello everybody, this is Two Guys Five Movies, this is one of your co-hosts Chris. This is Frank. And tonight we will be bringing you the top five sword and sorcery movies of the 1980s. She can't get much more specific than that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I just wanted to let everybody know last week, uh, we're kind of like I guess uh, on a little bit of an 80s bent. Last week we recorded um, the first of a new series with our friend Mike Bledsoe. Uh, called the first watch, uh, and we watched the Goonies and got his immediate impressions since um, he has seen very little uh, movies um, that he should have seen. So um, that's 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 in the archives right now. And um, this week we're doing another '80s list, um, and then in two weeks we will be doing. Uh, another third man series with a friend of ours, Jason Heaster, where we'll be looking at the best film of Wes Anderson. Um, next week, we'll be taking a short break uh, for the week just because of uh, Thanksgiving. So um, let's go ahead and get into this list, Frank. Um, so this was uh, your choice. Um, so why did you pick this category and was it to torture me? <laughs> um, so no, it wasn't to torture you. I actually didn't realize that you despise these kind of movies mm. until after you were forced to start watching them because mm. of the list. I just naturally assumed that everyone loves sword and sorcery mm. movies. Um, I mean, I've always been really fascinated by like fantasy. Mm. <clears throat> um, I played Dungeons and Dragons for most of my life. Um, was always into reading like Tolkien and the, the series of like D and D books and stuff like. Um, Michael Moorcock and Fritz Lieber, like, these guys that wrote, um, you know, like, high fantasy, um, which has become a lot more popular in the past, like, five or six years because of Game of Thrones. Um, but from even early age, like, the idea of the untamed wilds with, like, monsters and magic and, you know, warriors with, like, swords, like, fighting each other um, has always been appealing to me. I kind of fell in love with Arthurian legend from an early age. I think I read Once in Future King when I was like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, but even then, like Sword in the Stone, the Disney movie, was always really fascinating. Um, so just, there's just a lot of like personal like affection I have for, you know, the idea of like the Middle Ages, but with like fantastical elements added into it. Mm-hmm. I love armor. I love, I don't know, all that stuff is really appealing to me. Yeah. No, I have no interest in any of that. Right. Like, I, I purposefully, I know in college, uh, in my program, like, I purposely avoided classes that have anything to do with the Middle Ages whatsoever. Like, I, I had to take a seminar class, and I chose to take um, a seminar, the seminar because there was two being offered the semester. I had to take it, and uh, one of them was on uh, Arthurian legend. And the other was on um, uh, religious experience mm. in literature, and I chose the religious experience, right. which probably tells you something. Um, it's, it's funny that which I, I did enjoy that class overall, but um, it's curious to me that you don't enjoy like the Arthurian like legends. Like I think there's some really great like stories in those. Yeah, I there was something about that time period, I and mean, I've joked in the past that like. Probably because you there's reincarnation, right? Maybe, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would have been a monk or something. Probably, you would have been a serf and you'd have been dead at like fourteen. <laughs> that's, that's my guess. But Trample there's just something about that time period. I've always joked that like maybe I was like you know there if if there if reincarnation is real in any way like something terrible must have happened to me like during that time period, right. um, which maybe it's dead at fourteen as a serf. But I, I I've always just 
had this um, since a young age, and um, I mean, we've talked about it like off air, but uh, in part, and not totally, but in part, that probably has to do a lot with my father. Um, my father loved these type of movies. Um, he would watch them constantly. And there was some crossover, like Braveheart and stuff like that we've talked about, which I like a lot, right. which my father loved. But then there's some of these other type of movies that are on this list that like he loved, and I'm just, I, I do not dig at all. Like, they are, um, and, um, but I had a very strained relationship with my father, and um, so a lot of things that he liked I turned away from in some way. So that there's some influence there, but there's just a thing about the Middle Ages I just have no interest in. I don't like it. I don't like armor. I don't like swords. I've never been into that kind of stuff. Like, but you enjoy Tolkien. Like, you like the Lord of the Rings books. I do. I think there's a difference between, to some degree, reading. Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're going to get into that in this, probably, of, like, why that is. Like, because there's a couple movies that you have picked that I'm okay with. And there's some that, like, I don't like at all. And I think I understand why I like some more than others. Um, and, uh, we'll get in those, those specific movies, I think, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I think reading it, I think there's much more room for characterization. I think there's much more room for motivation. I think there's more room for a lot of different things that sometimes get lost in films, especially films that are doing, trying to do way too much or big sure. budget films, you know, and the characters tend to get buried. Um, I, I, I think I just love like the pure distillation of the hero's journey element to these kind of movies yeah. where it really is just like a person against like an unfathomable whatever like obstacle mm -hmm. and going out into the wilderness and overcoming these things and coming back like a stronger you know character like i'm sure know. well i don't really think i like the idea of the wilderness either that much right i love that stuff yeah i don't right? I, you don't really like westerns either though do you very specific ones, yeah. but I but as a whole, like you know, when you get into like, it's like there John Wayne movies. There's like two, right? I mean, um, maybe like, three. If, like, if, if you've got like the expanse of like the mid, like the Southwest and whatever, like I'll, I'm down with that. Like I can see. Oh, see, I yeah, no, I, I don't like that Dust Bowl, right? Bullshit, like you know. No. I want to see tumbleweeds and buttes and yeah, mesas and right. Well, I mean, there's probably a link between pollen and tumbleweeds and dust and stuff like right. you know like with these two things but it's like um but yeah i i just think that um yeah i just think i just don't have any interest in the milieu of 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 the genre sure. um and i and i don't really have a lot of interest in the way the stories are told not necessarily the stories themselves probably if i had to kind of sum it up i there's um, a lot of heavy-handedness yeah like i mean like John McClane and Die Hard is like going against all odds, right. you know. Like I mean, and it's like I'm fine with that. Um, you know, now I think better written than some of these movies, but it's like you know, and better executed. But still, like it's the setting. Like I think, like I, 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 I understand that setting more. Like I'm more open to that setting. Where um, some of these, like I'm just bored by it. Like, and and I'll be honest, like more than anything with some of the, some of these, like boredom is like the. And I know you hate that, like, as an excuse, and I can give you more specific criticism later, but it's like, I just, when I look at that setting, I'm just, like, uh, uh, like, depressed. <laughs> like. 
All so, right. Well, it should be a fun podcast. Yeah. So, real quick, can you just like define sword and sorcery just so that they're it, it's clear like what you're talking about? Because there's some things that you say fall under fantasy to you, right. or high fantasy, you say, yes. and then some things that fall under sword and sorcery specifically. Um. So, in my opinion, it has to involve. I mean, swords is pretty important. Like, there has to be some element of like sword fighting or combat. Mm-hmm. Um. Can be something other than a sword, but it has to be like a like someone who's a master of a weapon, like going against you know like forces, whatever beyond their comprehension or I don't know whatever. Um, there are certain movies that I think are more fantastical. So some examples of things that people might automatically think would be on this list that <clears throat> I enjoy more than like some of the movies on this list are things like Labyrinth and mm-hmm. Crystal. Mm-hmm. Which to me are more about magic and I don't know. It, 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 it's a really... Like, they lack the sword element. Then. Yeah, like I, I think of, you know, seriously, like a guy just like drawing a sword and like mm-hmm. going into combat against some other sure. guy with a sword. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, you know, right. that's the biggest element of it. And I think all these movies um, like contain that. Maybe not so much our number five, but, like, the other ones definitely, uh-huh. like, are really, like, invested in that idea. Yeah. Um, okay. And it's the idea of, like, a quest, really, I guess. I don't know. And de- definitely, like, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth both are, at their core, like, about a quest to do something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but to me, they're they're more... Maybe it's the Muppets? I don't know. Maybe, like, you can't have a Muppet in the movie, and I consider it sword and sorcery. Sure. Um, I can see that. But, I don't know. Like, to me, like, that, and those movies, I love both those movies, and there's a whole other list of, like, yeah. fantasy movies. Yeah. And it has to be in a very particular setting, though, also, right? right? Because one of the things I asked you earlier when you were telling me this list is, what about Big Trouble in Little China? And you said that's too modern. Yeah. Like, for the be sword and Because there's cars and stuff. Yeah, and guns. And, you know, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I get that. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and jump in. Um, number five on your list is Legend from 1985, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah, Tim Curry. Uh, it has a 42% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 73% from the audience. Um, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and why you like it? So Mia Sarah is Princess Lily. Um who's enamored with the forest. Uh, she's, you know, obviously a princess, but loves going into the forest because she loves the magic of it. Um, she's also in love with um, Tom Cruise character, Jack. Um, there's some nonsense with him letting her see a unicorn and she touches the unicorn. And um, that leads to darkness. Who's played by Tim Curry has sent like a trio of his minions Um a goblin and a couple of other like kobolds or whatever out. Um, they're able to poison the unicorn because Lily touches it. They end up taking its horn, which like plunges the entire forest into like this apocalyptic winter. <clears throat> um, and then it's the quest to try and get the horn back so they can revive the unicorn so they can end the winter. Um, and that's that's pretty much like the gist of the movie. I mean, a lot more happens than that, obviously. But sure, without going really into spoilers that's, that's or anything like that, and we can spoil it. I'm sure that you've, you've either seen Legend or you haven't. And I don't know if what I'm going to tell you is going to make you want to go see it. 
Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in short, it's like, you know, another, like, 40 minutes of, like, you know, some stuff that happens with dwarves. Right, they, and... they have to go through the swamp, and they have to get to the dark, the darkness's lair, and then there's rescuing her, and getting... Right, the... which is one of the better sequences of the movie, I'll say, is that towards the end to me, is, like, when they actually get to the lair, and I think there's some good stuff there. Right, like... there's some, the, the really cool thing with, like, redirecting yeah, stuff, yeah, like, yeah. to, like, drive them into the Feels plane. like Zelda. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I thought that was one of the better sequences in it, um... So, what, what did you like about this movie? Alright, first of all, I feel like visually, this movie might be the most stunning on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely has some of the most beautiful imagery mm-hmm. of any of the films on this list. Purposefully so. I mean, that was Scott's intention, I think, was to make like a movie that mm-hmm. feels otherworldly, I think. No, I agree um, with that. I love the... So again, like I was, I've played Dungeons and Dragons since I was like 12 years old and still like intermittently play it like to this day as a grown man. Um, it really has the feeling of like a campaign to it. Like there's encounters and elements of things and there's traps and there's puzzle solving and like, look, it's the dialogues overwrought and Mm -hmm. it really is kind of boring at times, I think. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the narrative, the middle of it, yeah, right. <clears throat> but it's never, it's never boring to look at. Like it's mm-hmm. always visually captivating. And I mean, I I hate Tom Cruise's character in this movie. Like I think Jack is a terrible character. There is no character, but go ahead. Right. I mean, well, he, <laughs> yeah, he really is just a cipher yeah. to like move a plot. Um, I like Mia Sarah's character. Like I like Princess Lily. I think that she's. She's actually more in line with um, uh, Jennifer Connelly's character in Labyrinth. Sure. In terms of, like, the plucky, headstrong maiden Mm -hmm. who's actually just as capable and maybe more so than, like, any, like, male, which Mm -hmm. I think is a nice nice change from the whole damsel in distress. And even though she kind of becomes the quote-unquote damsel in distress when she's taken to, like, the darkness, like, she really is the the catalyst that actually saves them. Mm -hmm. In terms of like freeing the unicorn and tricking him into thinking that she loves him, and no, I always like young Mia Sarah. It's almost like one of those actresses to me. It's like in her, in her early role, she's really good, and then like as you get later in life, when you see her, it's like she's not quite as effective anymore. Um, it's also one of the last movies where practical makeup effects are like front and center. Um, and this is this is Rob Bodden, who's the guy that did the thing. Um, so one of my favorite makeup artists anyway. Um, but uh, Blix, the main goblin, that makeup is amazing. Yeah. Um, Tim Curry, like the only thing that you can really see on Curry is like his mouth. Yeah. And it's just like he sneers sometimes and it's like, oh, that's obviously Tim Curry. Yeah. But it's such yeah. like... Ebert, Ebert said that the only thing... Um, he criticizes that Curry gets lost like inside the costume some. Um, uh, only... Only Curry's sensuous lips give him away. Right. Well, it's true. Though. It is. It is. It's absolutely um, true. Yeah. But that makeup is so amazing. It is. And, like, the, the first time you see him sitting there, like, the first scene of the movie is him, like, wallowing in his own depression because mm-hmm. he's lost his power and he's so far from, like, you know, whatever, Mother Night or whatever. I can't remember how he phrases it. But it's just the, the horns and, like, the eyes and the the massiveness of him. Like, he just seems like this imposing like devil i don't know it's yeah. so 
fantastic to look at. Um, and all of it, like every every bit of makeup, every bit of whatever, like scenery, his lair, like, you know, the reds and the oranges and the yellows and like that cast like these dark shadows all over the place. The scenes when they're in the forest, like both pre-snow and post-snow, you know, are just, I don't know, like to me it's, even though I, I, I think story-wise it falls a little short and, you know, there's a hundred and like thirty minute version of this movie that was cut down for American audiences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know what version you watched. Um, it was whatever was on Prime. Yeah. So, it, it, it drags, right? And it's not like the most well-written story. Um, but it also, I don't know, it just, it has this feeling of like this adventure. And like, I love mm-hmm. like movies that feel like, even if I'm not like fully invested in the characters, like that idea of them like going on this adventure and mm-hmm. <clears throat> even if it's for like a stupid reason. Yeah. I mean, I, so I'll start with the positives, I think, like, you know, um, about this watching again. I haven't seen this movie since I would probably estimate, like, 1987. Mm. So it's been a long time. Um, And I remember liking it enough then. Like, I remember liking it more as a kid. Um, uh, Watching it again, I I thought that visually I have in my notes that I thought it was a really good visual style. Like, you know... um, I thought there was stuff that was very pretty um, in the movie. I thought it was... I don't think the cinematography was great. I think that the design was really good. Like, you know, so, like, you know, the things they filmed and some of the ways in which they filmed it are okay, but it's, like, I just thought that, like, certainly in any kind of action sequences, I didn't think the cinematography was especially strong. I think it was just the cinematography when it came to the settings. Sure. was really good. Um and I thought of like, but I thought the set designs and all those kind of things, like especially in the underground, like in the, uh, you know, and everything was really strong. Um, darkness, I think is, again, I don't know how great of a villain he is necessarily in terms of characterization, but he certainly is, um, the visual design of him and like Curry's like, you know, portrayal of him is fantastic. I really liked all that stuff. Um, and I thought it had a really like awesome soundtrack, yeah. like score to it. Like, you know, like, um, so Except the ver- for the fact that, oh my god, it never stops. Was the version you saw, was it an orchestral score, or was it like a techno-electronic score? It seemed like a mixture of both, kind of, but it was a little bit more, seemed a little bit more modern to me, like, which is why I said, like, soundtrack as opposed to so orchestral. There's, there's two scores to this movie. Mm. There's, uh, like, a traditional orchestral score Yeah, that was made for the movie specifically and released with the European version. And then Tangerine Dream, which I'm pretty sure is what the version that's on Prime. Yeah, that's um, what I watched. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit more electronic. Right. So yeah. they came in... But still seemed to fit really well with it, the movie. It's amazing. Yeah. They they came in and scored it okay. for the American release. Okay. So, like, I've seen both. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I enjoy both scores. I think Tangerine Dream score is, like, pretty perfect for yeah. that movie. Like, it definitely lends a feeling of, like, dreaminess and... Yeah. It's, yeah, like, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, I, and I really liked it a lot, except for, I re- oh, my God, does it just play over everything. Right, yeah. Like, it, they, they, it's, it's, like uh, it's almost like they realize, oh, my God, we have this great soundtrack. Let's use it everywhere. 
Um, and it just after a while became kind of grating to me, um, even though I really liked it a lot. Um, so, uh, but so there's that. And then, so everything, like when you talk about the campaign aspect of the movie, like it's one of these things where, and I think that's like a large part of the middle of the movie, um, that I'm talking about that I get bored by is I think it feels like a bad campaign. It's like a bad dungeon master who's like sitting there saying, or like a a child, like being told a story and the child's like, oh, what happens next? And it's like, you know, well, shit, um, now this happens. And then I I found the narrative to be, um, nonsensical, like to just be random at times, like with no real, um, any kind of foreshadowing, like that often or like any kind of thematic like significance whatsoever to like you know where they are at in the journey like a lot of times until they get to the layer and then right. and then at that point like the narrative seemed pretty clear and it's the only time i cared about jack's character is when he's actually in peril and he's like you know actually using his nimbleness and all those kind of things to right. um so i love the whole like using the dishes or whatever to reflect the setting yeah setting. no that's cool yeah yeah no, like that when I say the campaign, so like you know, like they, they meet the witch in the swamp and they, they trick her and they yeah, kill her. And yeah, yeah. Like to me, like that's like just some random encounter. Like in yeah, like I you rolled like two die ten and it's like oh I got a twenty. Oh, you meet a witch. I need things to matter. <laughs> like you know, if I'm going to sit there and I know it's right. only like a, a ninety minutes or so, but it's like I I, I want the things to kind of matter, like to some degree, to the overall plot of that movie. Um, I have this on Blu-ray in the 137 minute version. If you'd ever like to borrow it, and no, I think I'm, I think I'm good. See, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's full glory. I mean, I don't hate this movie. Like, it's just um, Eber gives it two stars, and I'm like almost like right there with him, like in that rating of it. Probably, like maybe I go a little smidge lower, maybe like you know one and a half, one yeah. three quarters or something. But it's like I'm I'm right there. It's like I think there's things that are good about this movie, and I think for kids. Because I remember liking it as a kid, right, and I think I for it, and I think is I think for kids it's probably pretty good in hindsight now. Like is um you know I I think it has a lot of problems. Um, but um, uh, Ebert says something that I think is really important to the way I feel about a lot of these movies, uh, and he says it specifically about this. But I think I can keep going back to it and applying it in times. Is he says that the problem is the uh, world of legend is itself wrong for this material. To some degree, this is a fairy tale, and it needs a certain lightness of tone, a plucky cheerfulness to work. Like many recent sword and sorcery movies, it is so effective in rendering evil, so good at depicting the dire bleak fates facing the heroes, that it's too dreary and gloomy for its own good. And I get I get what he's saying, and it's like, I, I think it applies to some other movies that are on this list, mm. more so. Um, and I think that's... In part, not completely, that's in part, like, some of my, the difference between what I like and what I don't like about these movies, um, is, um, I think Legend tries to have, like, a lighter tone at times with the doors and stuff like that, um, because you're supposed to laugh at them. I just found it annoying, so. It is a little annoying. So I, um, but, um. But I do think that's like a big difference that I'll, I'll come back to later. But um, he um, he says that uh, performances tend to get lost in productions like this. He talks particularly how Cruz, um, being such a talented young actor, um, 
seems to get overwhelmed by the special effects and the character gets kind of buried in the whole thing, which I think is probably true. Um, at least I, I would think that is true. And then he talks about Curry. That's when he talks about Curry also being kind of buried a little right. bit under the makeup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those were his, like, major criticisms. Um, he says ultimately that he didn't care very much for all the special effects in the world and all the great makeup and all the great Muppet creatures can't save a movie that has no clear idea of its own mission and no joy in its own accomplishment. Um, which is pretty damning, like, like at the very end. It's rough. Yeah. Um, but, um... Yeah, I, I just think the narrative is really lacking in this movie, like, especially in the middle part. And I even think, like, the whole thing, like, is so arbitrary, like, with the unicorn, you can't touch the unicorn, and then it's like, it's just, it, I don't know. Right, I, again, I guess I don't care about that stuff. Yes, yeah. Like, yeah. Our, the arbitrary rules of fantasy are fine, because if you, you're, I mean, it's all nonsense, in re, like, none of it touches reality, so... Just suspend your disbelief. It's all right. No, I can't. It's not something that I can't do it. Like, you know, it's like, this is one of them where it's just like, okay, you can't touch the fucking unicorn. I'm like, got it. Like, you know, and it's like, okay, like there's this like glowing eye out, like, you know, um, this mystical evil in a tower and we got to trek across the world in order to do this. And we run into this guy who's, you know, at one with nature. And it's like, I can accept all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, because you spend time with that character and you get to, like, know him. It's like, it's like you get introduced to this movie and it's like, don't touch the unicorn. And it's like, I don't know. It's just silly. Like, it's silly that... Uh, I guess that stuff just doesn't bother me. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, it's really the narrative that bothers me more really, than Really, maybe if it didn't look as good as it did, like, I wouldn't... You'd have Willow on the list instead. Right. Well, I mean, I probably should have put Willow on the list anyway. That was a pretty bad admission on my part. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that can go on the 80s fantasy. That's fine. Okay. Um. <coughs> All right. I, I got nothing else to say about yeah, you Legend. Know. No, nothing else to say about Legend. Yeah. Okay. It's beautiful. Like, if you feel like wasted 90 minutes, you're like looking at something... That's a hell of a movie Visually put in your top stunning. five. <laughs> if you feel like wasting 90 minutes. I mean, so it's more like I loved this movie as a kid. I probably yeah. rented this movie like five or six times mm-hmm. over the span of a couple years as a child. I watched it a number of times when I was a kid, I know. like, And I've watched it a couple times since. And I don't know, like, it just, every time I see it, like, I love the way the forest looks. I love the way, you know, the makeup is, like, all of it. Combined with the soundtrack, which, like you said, is, like, basically perfect for, like, a fantasy setting. I don't know. It's just, um... To me, it it holds a very special place in my heart, which is why I wanted to put it on the list. Okay. Just, like, number four. Okay. Um, so, let's move on to number four. Number four is Crawl, from 1983, directed by Peter Yates, starring Ken Marshall, Freddie Jones, uh, Lysette Anthony, um, Liam Neeson, Robbie Coltrane, like, young Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. Um, in minor roles, it has a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 51% from an audience. Um, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why you like it so much? So there's this ancient evil called the Beast that flies around the galaxy in a giant mountain with like his army of like bad guys, and they land on this planet. Um, the people on the planet decide that the only way they can beat it is these two rival kingdoms. Combining forces through marriage to, like, go and fight, whatever. Because there's some prophecy that this princess will choose a king and their child will rule the universe or something. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Terrible setup. Let me, let, let, me, let me just say that when you described Legend, 
I thought, yes, that sounds as dumb as I thought it sounded. This movie, until you just described it, I didn't think it was as dumb as (laughs) you just described it. The the, the setup's not great. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. So, on this wedding where um, Corwin and um, the princess, can't remember her name, Lisa or Lisa or something, are going to get married, the beast attacks, they kidnap the princess, and thus, like, starts this quest for Corwin to trek across the world, um, because the Black Fortress disappears at some point, so he's got to rescue her before it disappears, and kill the beast, and he does so by getting a giant, giant's not the right word, like an oversized ninja star, Mm -hmm. um, the glaive, which is not at all like what a glaive is, but it's called the glaive, Mm -hmm. it's his throwing star that only he can control, and that's the thing that's gonna kill him and Mm -hmm. kill the beast. Um, they, him and this wise seer, like, gather this following of other people with him that, like, trek across. Uh, so again, it's like, like a recurring theme. I like the idea of, like, the group coming together to go on the campaign, kind mm-hmm. of. Like, it's very, very Dungeons and Dragons to me, mm-hmm. the way that it's set up. Yeah. A series of unconnected, like, encounters that eventually lead, I mean, I guess there's some connection to them, but... Yeah. They really are. Just... the swamp is really like unconnected to some way, I, I would think. To Even lot. then, they're still like trying to. You got the whole. Um, they're still just trekking. like The so. seekers or whatever they call them, the black eyed mm-hmm. things yeah. like, coming after them. Sure, yeah. And it has a connection to the major. They're going to get the fire mirrors. I mean, there's all just. It's like little, like, oh, we got to do this thing to yeah. move to the next To move the next thing. Yeah, yeah. That's right. very. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yes, it's very, like, we got to do this to do this. Yeah. Um, I like this movie. Number one, this is another movie that I saw when I was very young. Mm-hmm that I rented a number of times over the course of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a big sucker for the quest. Like I love movies that involve a quest. Yeah. Um, I like my, my dad and I have pretty different tastes in film. Like in general, my dad is really into sci-fi. I'm not as much into sci-fi. Um, this movie we both like because it has this weird, like blend of like sci-fi and fantasy mm-hmm. with the fact that, it is this alien threat on this like primitive planet. <clears throat> the armor is very eighties, like hyper stylized, yeah. like the armor of like the invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like it's just there's some really like ridiculous stuff in this movie and some really bad visual effects in this movie. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like the stuff with the tiger at the end, like. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, that's they're up and uh, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. There, there's some of it I can ignore. I'll let me say this in terms of just since you brought the special effects because I don't think I have it in my notes, but this is 1983. Yeah, I thought the special effects in this Blue Dune, which we also talked about in the Lynch episode, Blue Dune away, right? Well, like that, for they came out a year later. This like, movie was super expensive. Yes, I did read that. Um, yeah. to film, and a very like, tough production. Yeah, and they, they, yeah. I, I think they really thought that they were creating a franchise when mm. they were making this movie. And I think that's the whole thing of the prophecy. It's like, oh, well, the next movie, is... we're going to see the kid that rules the universe. Sure. Yeah, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, which I would love to see, like, a reboot of the Crawl uh, franchise yeah. for any production company that might be listening. <laughs> um. I, I like, like, the throwing star thing, you know, I I like the ragtag group of yeah. misfits, you know, the thief, the fighter, the plainsman, the wizard, like, all these little things. 
Um, I, I used to kind of scare me as a kid, like hmm. their eyes turning, like the scene mm-hmm. when they're in the swamp and like, yeah, the, yeah. no, I get you. the blind seer, his eyes open and they turn black mm-hmm. and then that noise that it makes, like yeah. when, when they kill the thing that's like infected, the knee, yeah. uh-huh. this is like really horrifying to me. Yeah. The widow of the web part is really like kind of was scary to me as a kid, oh, okay. like crossing yeah. over. Mm-hmm. Again, like just this like set piece right. that would later like influence. That's one of also the worst special effects as a spider, but it's like it's very. But it's like... bad, but it's it's also like really like tense when they're crossing over, and I love the idea of like her just being like the silhouette in mm-hmm. the middle of. This. Oh yeah, no, no, and it's just I... you know they then then they get there and they're right on the cusp of it disappearing, and they mm-hmm. climb up and then you know. He kills the thing and he saves the princess in the end. And I yeah. just, again, so like in the perspective of like my adult eyes, not, not, not a good movie, right? Like it's, it's, it's campy and it's corny, but as a kid, it was so just, I don't know, just so good. And like, I loved watching that movie. Like I felt like that thrill of adventure every time I watched it. And even today, I can watch it and still feel that a little bit, but for more of like a nostalgic perspective, as as opposed to genuinely appreciating it as a film. Yeah, I am not surprised by these Rotten Tomato scores. Just you know, like right? Would have would have assumed it would be a little lower. I don't know for the cult status that this film has. I would have thought the um, the audience would be a little bit higher, the fifty one percent, because it has gained quite a following, like from the eighties, like. Um, with the people that saw it among our age group, um, we haven't talked about this because uh, at all, like off, you, you kind of have an idea how I feel about these other movies, like after rewatching. But I just watched this the other night, and we haven't talked about it. Had you seen this movie before? Once in my early twenties, like or late teens, like uh, Chuck showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was for the first time, so it's probably like ninety nine, two thousand okay. somewhere. Um, and I, because I hadn't seen it as a child, like it was one of those things that just somehow escaped me. Right. Um, but I watched it, and I'll be honest, I don't remember. Like, now we could have been drinking, yeah. but I, but it's also possible that I just didn't care, um, or didn't pay much close attention because there was always stuff going on there, you know. Right. Um, but and uh, not your cup of tea. Not my cup of tea necessarily. But let me say this: like, it's the last movie that I watched um, out of these out of these five. Um, I would put it number two out of these five <laughs> movies. Um, overall, okay, the plot's derivative of, right. of everything. Right, everything. Okay, everything derivative. It's just every- pulling, it's pulling from everything. Yes, like, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, some crit- one critic I know, like a more modern critic, noted that it was like, you know, watching this movie really is just an exercise in trying to guess what they're going to steal from next. Yes. Um, but... So yes, the plot's extremely derivative. Um, at times, it's a little bit nonsensical in the sense of like what you were saying. We got to do this thing in order to do this thing. Sure, like that exists, but um, and you understand like you made me watch a movie that like has I I I, I timed it eight and a half minutes of people climbing rocks at different points. That's fine. The, the the scene with um what's the main character's name Corwin. Corwin Corwin when he's going to go get the glaive it shows him on those damn rocks in that mountain yeah. for four and a half minutes before he gets inside four and a half minutes of just them shooting this 
asshole, like, you know, like, walking around on rocks and, like, right, you well, know. Right, we gotta fill 79 like, minutes somehow, right? <laughs> oh, is that how long you think this movie how is? How long is it? I have no idea. Um, oh, I didn't write it down. It was, like, close to, like, two hours. No, it's not. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, then that speaks volumes for it, because it feels like it's, like, 80 minutes long. Um, uh, no, yeah, it didn't. But it's, so like... <laughs> So there, yeah, eight, eight and a half minutes of people climbing rocks at different points because there's the there's the one I giant climbing rocks at one point like that's like a minute and a half you know that, right, they're gonna climb up into the black tower yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of rock climbing, climbing you right, know, in this movie um, so okay so that's that's absurd just you know like there's a lot of time watching people climb rocks but despite all that yeah it was fine I liked it like I I I, I it's fun. It, it has the type of levity about it and an actual sense of adventure. Right. That something to me like legend lacked. Like... 100% like, agree. Which like, is why it's higher on the list. To me like Corwin, despite being just as <laughs> bland to some degree of a hero with no real characterization, he he wants to like be on an adventure. You know he's like he's he's like happy to be on an adventure. Now he maybe he's not happy later on, but it's like at the an early on yeah, he's he like, jumps right into it. Sure, he's, 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 he's going to save right. He's going to go save her. You know, it's like um, and what's the Freddie Jones's name in the in the movie the 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 mentor like you know the the old hermit. Yeezman uh, or Yeezer or something, or something yeah, like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's um. Uh, Y-N-Y-R uh, I have no idea and they say it once and like it's like how the hell are you supposed right. to know but so Freddie Jones in that I thought was fantastic like you know um, as that character like the, the Ben Kenobi character is what he is right. like you know I mean oh yeah because uh, it's 100% like sure. Star Wars yeah yeah right yeah. Um, so it's like I thought he was really strong in that the scene when he goes into the spider layer and the dynamic between him and that actress like you know in that scene which is kind of like kind of foreshadowed like you know a little bit like right but also kind of comes out of nowhere but it's still it's it's a really good scene it's really well acted yes. overall like the perform the cast is solid like everybody does their role fairly well without being hammy or right. 280s except for ergo I think is annoying damn character, the one that turns into the animals all the time. Um, like, I think he's a hammy, and right. I, I don't like him at I all. I think that's but on purpose, but... It probably is, but I don't think it's funny. So, um, I think he's supposed to be comedic relief, and he's not sure. funny. So, um, but I just thought that there was a sense of fun to it. I thought that, you know, the, the orchestral score to it, I really liked, except for the fact that Oh my god, it also never ends and it's so loud. Like and maybe that's just me getting old, I don't yeah, know, maybe. like but it's like it's so loud. It just like blares in your ears. When that when it actually like just uses it um you know moderately and then like goes to like soft scenes with like, you know, like no score and like people just talking with one another, like you know, like which it does later in the movie, like yeah. in the in the in the second third. Um it's really well done, but early on in that movie, man, those that score is like way too loud and way too much. Right, but to it's really it. good score. Yeah. It's a really like well done score, like sure. for that movie. Again, they they put a lot of effort and money yeah. into making this movie because they really thought they were making the next great franchise. I think. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, and that's like, it, it has some humor that works, and it, it's, it's, it has a sense of adventure and fun. And you know, I like the swamp scene. I like yeah. the um, I like most of the characters in it. And it's like you know, so compared to a lot of these other movies, it's like, damn, it was a joy. It was kind of a joy to watch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, saved it to last. Yeah, I guess. Like, um, I was surprised because I expected to like really dislike it, but maybe in comparison, like, yeah, maybe it was best that I watched it last. Right. Um, no, I definitely like it better than Legend and. Um, you know, maybe it's the fact that it is kind of just set on like a completely, even though it's not an alien world, it is just a completely like alien world. Like it's, yeah, it's not. Uh, I think that's the stupidest part of the movie. Is really? like it doesn't have to be an it doesn't have to be an alien. Like if, if I would have thought it would have just been just as easy to not have it be an alien and just to have it be magic, like and not have to be like right. this added element of like this alien race that comes down and. You well, know, again, you're setting and, up a future movie that's never going to happen. Sure. Now that makes a lot of sense when you said that. Yeah. Like, you know, why that you why you created why you have it be aliens. That's like, why I think it's aliens. Yeah, but it makes a lot of sense. It, it does. Like, I, I I can see that. Um, I, I thought that was the dumbest part of the movie. Is like, why are they doing all this backstory with like aliens landing? It's like it's just an ancient evil that like right. you know has taken over the well, land. They wanted and, to do the star destroyer scene in the beginning where you're like <sighs> underneath the. I forgot about that already. The mountain, like, like going. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a completely horizon. Yeah, it's yeah. completely Star Wars. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, of course, every movie does that. Like, you know, like every movie in space has a scene right. where it's like the. But still, like but the begin the movie, and it doesn't force. it have like a text at the beginning too. It's an narrator, I think. It's an narrator. Pretty okay. sure. Right. Yeah. That there's a princess that will be born, and that princess yeah, will choose right, a yeah. king. I think it shows it on the screen, though, maybe. They will become the rulers of the world, remember, and yeah, their child right. will become the ruler of right, the Right, because it tells the prophecy. Yeah, I right. love that movie. Yeah, I was waiting for the child, and I thought, like, oh, maybe this kid that they found will end up being the child. Like, And I thought it was because I haven't seen it in so long. I don't remember. I thought, like, maybe it was going to be hinted at that he's the child. And, like, no, it just yeah. ends. No, they, they were thinking, like, man, this is going to be, yeah. they'd be a hit, and we're going to make Crawl 2, like, I do think a lot of the scenes go on like to like the the final scene with the battle between right. It's, oh my god, it lasts forever. It's a long. Like, it's 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 way too long. Like they're they're inside the dark fortress or whatever it's called for for a pretty long time. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, I thought I I think my favorite scene is the stuff with um Freddie Jones going and visiting his ex. You know, really, well, yeah, really good. Yeah, I thought that was like really sad too. Yeah, and like him coming out and his death scene and all that stuff. Right. I, th- I thought it was like all that was really well handled. I really like the scenes with him a lot. Like you know when he's trying to teach him in the beginning, which kind of goes nowhere, but um, like that storyline of him being the mentor, like doesn't really like get leave you satisfied. But um, right. I mean, he's just there to advance the plot. Sure. In a couple yeah. different areas. Yeah. But, that's what they're all there for. But they do a good job. Yeah, they do. Right. Like I like the Liam Neeson character, like mm-hmm. the one, the guy that has like all the wives, like in all these different villages and stuff like that. Like I like all that. And yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I oddly enjoyed it. Like overall. Like, yeah. Um, I praise. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Janet Maslin, New York times. Um, she says it's a gentle, pensive sci-fi adventure film that she thinks ends up a little too moody and melancholy, um, which I don't get at all, like, in this. It's, like, I that's don't know. Legend. Yeah, where's, where's the melancholy? Yes. Yeah. Legend is melancholy and, like, moody to me. Legend like, is morose. Yeah, yeah. Like, more than melancholy. Yeah. Legend is just... Uh-huh. De- not, not depressing. Anyway. Yeah, Crawl is just fun, I think. 
Okay. I mean, even though things yeah. are, even though like characters die, mm-hmm. I mean, it really is just part of like the quests. And then in the end, like they're all just on some fun adventure. Okay. Um, you know what it is? It's like it's not pretentious, right? No. Like these other, like you know, it's like like Legend has a little bit of that to it, and these other movies do too. I think where it's, it's a little pretentious. Legend is it's absolutely a, it's, pretentious. It's very into itself. Yes. And it's very, it's it's like, it's too cocksure, uh, like right. of like it, itself and its own story. Where this movie kind of leans into like, yeah, we're gonna just like rip off all right. these things and tell a story, but we're gonna try to make it fun and like, and it's like, and it kind of just accepts what it is and doesn't. Well, like, it really try was to, meant to appeal to a mass audience, like that. Was yeah, maybe too too much of a mass no, audience, like uh, in the end, but um, yeah, it was a commercial failure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read that. Like it was, yeah, it flopped hard. Like it was really bad. Like the money that was lost on the movie. Well, let me tell you something. Video King, they made like probably like thirty dollars off me. Yeah. Right and cool. Oh, yeah. uh, I came across the critic from Pop Matters called Bill Gibran, um, who was doing a retrospective on this, and I was reading through it, and um, I thought he made a fairly good point, probably about this movie, and maybe you can, um, you can you know respond to it or like you know agree or or not, but um. He says that he thinks that the film had what he called an amusement amalgamation. And what he means by that um, is that if you didn't like one particular character or circumstance, you know, there's something like just waiting another another scene that's coming up of something you will like. Right. Um, sure. And that it's like what he called it the perfect um, pickup movie. Like the movie where it's like you could just turn on the television, turn the television channel and it's on and you can just sit there and watch it like at any point. I agree with that. Again, this, this and he thinks that's what accounts for the, some of the popularity after the fact of the movie. Um, this this plays that, into my like love of like role playing, like pen and paper role playing games. Mm-hmm. Is that idea that your the narrative is about interconnected scenes, even though there is like a narrative to it, and it's I mean I, that's exactly right. Like I could you could turn on Crawl right now, and it could be on any scene, and I would immediately be invested in watching, and not feel like I. Oh, I need to like stop this and like go watch it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that element of like movies like yeah, that. yeah. No, I can I can definitely see that. Any final thoughts on this? No, I mean I I'm actually, I guess in a vacuum, like really surprised that it has like a cult following to it, mm-hmm. like any kind of cult status, because up until like like you said, our friend Chuck, yeah, uh, like that was maybe the first person I'd ever met that had seen it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know of anybody that really talks about yeah, it. Yeah, it has a, uh, I was reading about it, it has a cult following. That's pretty interesting. I don't know how big it is, you know, I mean, but it definitely has a cult yeah, following. I don't think it's like cult, like Rocky Horror's cult, but I mean, I think it definitely Right, has but I, I mean, I think a lot of those, like, fantasy sci-fi movies from the 80s definitely have some sort of cult following, just because sure. they're so much fun. Right. If you can, whatever, like, get past bad dialogue and... Yeah. Sometimes like really bad special effects, like they're just enjoyable. Yeah. I didn't even think the dialogue in that movie was bad. No, no, I no. I'm just like, I'm, I'm speaking no, in general. general yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. from like I mean it, it's poorly delivered at times, but the dialogue itself isn't necessarily from, bad. But. From the late seventies through like the late eighties, <clears> you have movies that will rip off Star Wars, Conan, or Star Trek, and in some manner they're going to have some elements of those movies in them and mm-hmm. they range from like almost unwatchable to really good and fun. Sure. So, and I think the crawl is a movie that falls into that where it was like, Hey, let's catch this zeitgeist of the moment and 
we're going to make this like fantasy movie with sci-fi elements that we can spin into a franchise. And it just didn't work at the time. But who knows why? Yeah. Maybe Return of the Jedi or something. It's like 83, yeah, right? right. So, it is, yeah. 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 There was a lot of movies around that time, too. Because you have like... What is around the time? Like Dragon Slayer maybe is then and Clash of the Titans and actually Clash of the Titans is another regrettable omission because I would have put that on this list. Love that movie. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not a Larry Gasper movie. Right, because it's good. Yeah. yeah. Your dad may have been a cretin, but he had good taste. In, uh... <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... <sighs> yeah, that's a oh, Larry. I'm not yeah. Gasper call. I'll have to think of it's, it's It's pretty readily available. It's on Prime, right? Or do you have, did you have to rent it? Um, crawl. I had to rent. Okay. Yeah, I got it. I watched. I watched it. It's on. It's on Amazon. I mean, but you had to rent it. Yeah. Um, third movie that you were getting ready to go into is now suddenly on Prime after you lent me the um the DVD, DVD to watch, right. but um, it just came up on Prime. I've actually seen a number of threads like uh, in the past like week um on Reddit and stuff like that about this movie suddenly um because I think. I realize, like, everything when I think it's, like, random that something comes up on Reddit, it's because it's just been released on some streaming service and right. people are watching it suddenly, so it's not random at all. Like, um, So the number three movie on your list is Excalibur from 1981, directed by John Borman, um, starring Nigel Terry, Helen Mirren, uh, Nicole, Nicole, Nicole uh, Williamson, and early, uh, young Patrick Stewart. Um, has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and an 80% from audiences um so uh, another much higher rank than the first two um do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie um and uh what you think about it i mean it's it's a pretty faithful telling of mallory's arthurian legend right um you know uther impregnates a grain arthur's born it follows arthur drawing the sword and uniting the knights of england and creating camelot and then <clears throat> actually goes into a lot of like the smaller like knight subplots like um gawain and percival and lancelot's betrayal not not that lancelot's betrayal is a small one but and follows it through to arthur's death i mean and again like pretty much hits the main like points like note for note of the entire more character, um, then I don't know. I mean, like if if you know Arthurian legend, like it's that's what it is. Sure. If you don't, like that's probably much too long of a like conversation right. to have right now. So what do you like about? I love the set design. Yeah. I love the armor. Um, I love the fact that like when these knights are fighting each other, they're not like nimble ninjas like dancing around in armor like they're it, it feels like heavy and cumbersome and like brutal when they hit each other um i love Nic- nicole williamson as merlin i think that he's funny and weird and like his like speech affectations are just I don't know, crazy um i love the score like the ethereal like woman like half singing thing <clears throat> um I don't know. I mean, what 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 do I dislike about it? I guess is like a better question because I don't know if there's much. I think it's a pretty amazing. I mean, it's it, it's long, right? Like it's just under three hours, I think. Nah, it's not even that long. It's two twenty. Okay, so 
to be able to fit like almost all of our Thurian it's legend. Too long, but it's only too long. <laughs> not long enough. Yeah. To be able to fit almost all of our Thurian legend, including like the Grail quest and all that stuff, is um is pretty impressive. And to do it like justice in a lot of ways. Yeah. God, I love the way that like their their armor's like so shiny and I, it's just like the the masks. I really love almost. Mordred's armor. Mordred's armor is really cool. That's one of those things. Really that, creepy. You, know, you like, don't have anything nice to say, you know, like, you know, it's like that's the best thing to get. It's right. Like, you love the creepy little laughing kids armor that looks like a... Oh, I'm talking about, well, yes, but it's like when he's an adult. It's like the that same, goal, yeah. yeah. It's the it's same, the same armor. It's yeah. just bigger. Yeah. Um, but I really, yeah. I really like that. I don't know. There's... Look. It's got some real hammy acting in it. Um... Nigel Terry, right? That's Arthur. Yeah. Is maybe one of the most. I didn't think it was handy at all. I, I honestly didn't. I really? thought it was, I thought it was soul deadening acting. Oh. I thought they acted like they didn't have a pulse most of the time. That's not no. That's not true. They overact like for most of it. It's like <laughs> what a question. Like it's that. like everybody feels like they're well. Maybe what it is they they. Everybody feels almost like they're phoning in a performance to some degree. See, I don't. I I think they're trying to capture like the weight of the Arthurian legend. I think they're British, right? Well, that's <laughs> like yeah, that matters. Yeah, the like, whole idea of Avalon. So, yeah, I don't. I honestly didn't have much of a problem with the acting. If that's interesting, that you go there about that, but like, I've always found the acting to be like over the top, and especially Nigel Terry. Yeah. Like, he's... I think his uh, facials are way over the top. Oh, and his ears. His ridiculous ears. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. I just mean, like, yeah, just like the way he emotes on his face is overdone. Sure. (laughs) But, I mean, I didn't necessarily have a major problem with the acting in this sometimes. Sometimes Lancelot stuff is a little suspect. I really love Merle, the guy that plays Merle. Yeah, Nicholas. Yeah, Nicholas. Yeah. I, I really love him, like, as playing that character. I don't necessarily always love the character, but I love him playing yeah. that character. Um, I, I think he's really good in it. Sure, and he like has this otherworldly quality while still being like the most like grounded mm-hmm. member of like that group. Like he's always giving like the best advice, and but then just kind of like disappearing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Ebert criticizes that character. Um, well, he criticizes like some of the choices and the characterization of the movie. He says that Merlin. Um, it's like, uh, it's like Merlin's the great and powerful magician, but he allows Morgana to outwit him. He seems to decide from moment to moment whether he possess- possesses vast powers or none. Um, and I think that's true. It's like, um, and he also criticizes some of the choices like that the characters make with Lancelot and stuff like that. And I agree. I kind of saw the same thing with Arthur too, where it's like, I understand they're just adapting the story, but... Right. Um, at the same time, it's like it makes the characters feel very like their decision making and what happens very arbitrary um, throughout. And sure, but I mean that's just part of that like cycle of myth or whatever is that that sometimes Lancelot is like the shining paradigm of goodness, and sometimes Lancelot's an asshole, right? Like sure, but you can make that like I know, I know we've talked about this, but it's like you can still in a modern day retelling or adaptation of that make those two things consistent with one another and they take no time to do that. So it just makes it it's, it's just still bad 
bad storytelling based in tradition is still bad storytelling. We'll take it up with Thomas Mallory. I don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Ebert gave this movie two and a half stars. Um, that probably boggles your mind. Uh, it, it does. Um, I mean, so let me ask you. So let's let's let, let's not talk about Ebert or anything. I just I want I want I want I want the Chris Gasberry critical opinion. So this has some of my favorite armored combat fight scenes in any movie ever. Like from the very beginning, when when Uther is like the sky is red and there's like fire everywhere and he's like bashing people down with his mace mm-hmm. and like, here, okay, like so, every combat scene is just so here so, I, I think here's like one of the big differences between us is like you praise like the production design and like the costumes and all those kind of things and you have like I said at the very beginning is like I don't care about any it's, it's the my least favorite part of like any of these things right. is that stuff so I think we have to just like kind of call that a wash and just say that like you know that's the. Um, but you can't because that's what I love about. These I'll, I'll, I'll no, I'm saying I'll just give it to you. Like that's fine. Like you know I I, I I think the production design, even though I don't care for that stuff, sure. Like you know I, I at least appreciate Mordred's armor. Like I appreciate the armor of the horses. Like you know I like sure it looks good. You know like those kind of things. Like I think they put a lot of time and effort into all those things, and I think that they did that maybe at the expense of a lot of other things about this movie, um, that they were trying to be so precise about making this shit look cool that they forgot to, I don't know, like, write an even story that, like, you know, like, has pacing and knows how to, um, you know, uh, create, like, strong characters, and let, okay, so... I have a big problem with the story of this, like in this, and we've already talked about. Like, I, I wasn't, a, I'm not a fan of the original story that much. Like, I understand like how that culturally has spread, and like I get it as a reference, you know, and like you know, all those kind of things, like that's been appearing through literature, like sure. you know, ever since. Like, and I can appreciate that aspect of it. Not a huge fan, you know, um, of, of that story. I don't care about the time period, which I said. Right. So, you know, I have a problem with the characterization in it. Now, beyond that, like, a lot of people praise, um, you know, uh, like, the the filmmaking aspect of this movie. And it completely boggles my mind. It's like, this thing has, like, two to three settings that are consistent throughout. Sure. And like there's when they film in the woods, it's like I think it's the same woods or set probably of the woods that's just filmed from different angles for different scenes. And it's like sometimes the woods it's kind of fall and sometimes it's like bright green. And it's like okay, it's pretty. But the choices for cinematography in this movie add nothing to it. In fact, it like detracts to me most of the time from the scenes and the power that they're supposed to be conveying, which I don't think they convey very well. But I think a lot, part of that's the cinematography where it never feels like I'm emotionally engaged in the filmmaking and the way that they're trying to engage me. I'm never engaged. Here's an example. It's like everything's like just completely the same. So it's like you have a shot in a room and it's done in, a lot of times it starts in long shot, and there's 
shit in the foreground. So it's like, here's a table with some stuff on it. And it's like, you see these two characters talking to one another behind it. And every scene starts like that. It's like, you know, and it stays that way for some scenes throughout the entire thing. Okay. And it's like, it's just slow and plodding and dull. And it's like, oh my God, I had to put this movie and I have never done this in my life. I put it on 1.5 speed to get through (laughs) the second half of this movie. I was ready, and because I was attached to the television because of the DVD, I couldn't even get up the smoke. Like you know, so <laughs> I, I I put it on one point five. I I did sometimes. <laughs> it took me like five sittings to get through. Like I started it one night. I got like forty five minutes into it, and this one over here, like you know, it was like, hey, do you want to smoke? And I was like. Please, yes, thank you. Like, because they gave me an excuse to stop this damn movie. Um, so I have a problem with the way it's filmed. Then there's parts of the production design that, like, I absolutely despise. So, like, I guess it's like Morgana's, like, you know, maybe it's Morgana's, like, layer. Like, it's like there's like, there's so many colored lights in this movie that make it so 1980s. Like to me, and where do you think is Morgana's lair? Are you talking about like the underground, like yeah, the yeah. of the dragon, or whatever? Yeah, 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 like that whole area. It's like there's all these like green and red and blue and right. orange lights, and it's like behind these crystals, and it's like, like, and it's like through glass, and it's like there's lights, and it's got a very eighties aesthetic in that sense, sure. And it looks like you know, it's like you know, Heaster's house when he had those damn margarita glasses and they light up at the bottom. Like that's what it reminded me of. It's so damn lame and cheesy looking, and it's completely to me. It doesn't look like what I would imagine those. Like okay, I get it. it's alien, it's weird. It's like, it's like it takes you completely to me out of that scene because it looks like it's a damn disco. From, like, you know, the 1970s as opposed to the, whatever it's supposed to be, 1200s or something like that, 1300s. You know, uh, you know, not even that, it's earlier than that, right? It's like, you know... Even, no, I think that's about right. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think it's, like, the earlier even, like, the original myths anyway. But it's like, it's like, so that, like, throws me off. Like, you know, it's like, it's like I'm watching damn Street Smart or... Bright Lights Big City or some shit. Like, you know, like in terms of the color aspect of some of those scenes. And it's complete... It makes no sense, like, for that movie. So there's another, like, production design. Everything's foggy all the time. Right, I like that. Oh my god, it's too much. It's so much fog. It's like it's the uh, mist of the past, right? Like, it's the... the, No. The primordial, like, whatever. I don't know. Like, the... Here's my aspect about the acting. It's not the acting so much as... Why does it feel like the damn movie is being dubbed even though it's not being dubbed? It feels like there is no connection um, half the time between their... That's why I said it's like they're dead. Like they have no pulse. It's like their mouth like moves and it seems like it's not moving in concordance with like with the speech that comes out of it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, um, And I'm not talking... This is before I started fast-forwarding like, you know, 1.5 speed. Um, like how... Why is everyone so boring in this movie? Like, they're all just really... Like, Lancelot. How do you make Lancelot a boring character? He's not a boring character. He's extremely dull. No, he's not. He's so dull. He's not. Everybody in this movie's dull. So here's my counterpoint. Okay. 
and why you're wrong <laughs> in like everything you just said. Um, the cinematography is a little much sometimes. Like they do a lot to capture you. I guess you would call it like lens flare now to kind of like show the the gilded nature of everything, especially when they're inside of Camelot, right? Yeah. They do it. It's filmed in a manner where you're looking at the golden age of British civilization, like when everything was perfect, mm-hmm. when the Knights of the Round Table had driven evil from the land, basically. Like everything, everyone was happy and everyone was content. Mm-hmm. And it's misty and foggy because Borman is trying to make it feel like, I don't know how else to say this, but like, like, like a Led Zeppelin song almost or whatever, like... It's just, you know, they're in the mists of the past, and it's the the dawn of English civilization, and, like, what led to... So it's another thing I don't care for, so go ahead. Right, but that's the thing, is that, like, I mean, it's not for you, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the reason that they film it the way they do, and the reason that I think the actors act it the way they do, is because they're trying to convey the weighty importance of like what these people were doing in relation to this myth i mean these people were doing you know you had um percival is out looking for the holy grail and they have like like i don't know how you don't like that scene like i think that scene is amazing when he comes upon um morgana and mordred's lair and there's all the dead knights like hanging from the trees and Mm -hmm. he goes in and like you know basically gets like overcome and then he's hanging from the tree and mm-hmm. like I I love the way that scene looks. I think it's got a lot of like there's scenes that are just to me fine. Like I don't I'm not gonna hate on every single scene, but it's like there's stuff but it's like nothing like impressive or like, you know, to me extremely memorable, even in the better scenes of Sure, the but you don't care about the myth. I right? don't. Like, I don't care about that. You're right. Yeah. I mean it's like it's like you hate space and then you're going to argue that Star Wars is no good. I'm not saying that's you, mm-hmm. but, like, if you don't care about the story that's being told, like, okay, I understand it. But, like, I love, like, the Arthurian myth. And mm-hmm. I think that the reason that it's probably so highly rated is because there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that, like, know that story. And it's a really good telling of that story. Now, whether you enjoy that story or not, right. I guess, like, probably colors... Yeah. Whether you're going to enjoy this movie. I mean, I've read Mallory. I've, like, read, like, so many different, like, versions of this and stuff like that. And it's, like, again, it's, like, not that I I don't like the story that much. It's not, again, that I hate it. I'm just looking at this as an adaptation. I just think it's fucking terrible. Like, I mean, like, the end of that movie, I don't know how you can sit through it. Like. I've sat through it a number of times. Oh, my God. Like, the idea is, like, it felt like, it felt like a joke to me. Like, you know, it's, like. It's like he's dying and he takes the sword. Right, but then it happens. It actually happens three times in Mallory. Right. So they actually save you a time. They, they did. <laughs> they did. And it still took 18 minutes. Right. It's a, it's the death of Arthur. That's like the most, one of the most important parts of like the story. It's him like getting whisked away to Avalon to come back to save the kingdom again someday. It's so long. It's so long. These scenes are so long and they, and, and they don't. But at that point do. you're supposed to be invested in Arthur as a character. What character? The king. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's the king. He's the king before he's, he's the man. And that, you know what, he's honestly, the king. like maybe that's the other thing too, is that all these characters are laboring under the code of chivalry. Like they're all supposed to be paragons of virtue. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, sometimes they're not, right? Like Lancelot, like, falls or whatever, and Arthur certainly turns into, like, a wizened old, like, crone at one point before he gets his, you know, his juice back or whatever. But, I don't know, man. Like, I could watch people... And, look, there's adaptations of this myth. Like, um... What's the terrible one that came out in the early 2000s? Was it just called Arthur? Or something oh, like that? Yeah, it was just, yeah, Arthur. Some of those movies I can't stand, but... That was, that was the movie that I fell asleep in for like 15 minutes in and I woke up and then like they were on the ice and I was like, why the fuck are they on the ice? And then I fell back asleep for like the last like 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> That's kind of like one and a half speed, right? Yeah, right. Um, so there's certain like certain movies that I don't enjoy that like tell the story, but I just, I, I love the way it looks. I, I like the mistiness of it. I like I like the idea of, like, the misty forest. Like, it's, uh, it's, again, like, the forest primeval thing to me. Like, the creating the land out of nothing. Like, that's, it's, it's appealing. Like, I think that's yeah romantic. Symbolically, and, I like the idea of blight and, like, you know, like, what happens. I like that story much more symbolically than I do in any kind of, like, actuality of it, seeing it or reading yeah, it. Yeah, like, when he's out. going across, when, when Percival's, like, on the Grail Quest, he's going across the wasteland and he comes upon um, Gawain or Galahad, whoever it is, it's, yeah. like, basically mummified, like, in yeah. his own armor. Like, that stuff is, I mean, it, it feels like I'm reading, like, Child Roland or something, you know what I mean? Like, I can, I can see... I do not at all agree with that. Like, at all. Like... I, I have a completely different image in my head, and that is some sort of, you know, it, it, it's just, it's like, you know, this, like, the awful makeup that they put, like, you know, um, the uh, the Ed Gein movie we talked about, they're deranged, um, you know, like, the awful makeup they put on, like, his mother at the beginning of that movie, like, to show that she's sick. Right. It's like, that's how I feel about some of, like, the choices in this, where it's like, you know, it's like the, the makeup, it's it's too, it's too cartoonish almost to me at times. Like, it's not realistic enough. Like, the, the, the things I picture out of Charles Roland is, like, you know, things of true dread, you know, and nothing in this movie makes me dread anything. Like, you know, and it just makes me yawn. Well, again, maybe, you know, and I, I saw this movie sans nudity on TV as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And then, like, numerous times. I mean... I didn't think the nudity was that good either. Go ahead. <laughs> What's that? I didn't think the nudity was any good either, if we really want to get specific about these complaints. But go ahead. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Yeah. Um, so I've probably seen this movie eight or nine times uh -huh. in my life. Like, all the way through. Maybe more than that. Um... I don't know, man. Like, I just, I, I think it's really well done. I think it's a really good adaptation. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? Like, I, I, I understand, like, you know, how earnest you are about how much you like it. And, like, I'll just never understand it. In fact, I told you all like, this is out of every movie we've talked about. And I did really didn't like Bay of Blood at all. Right. Um, this movie is my least favorite movie that I've watched out of anything on your list so far. Just wait till I find a reason to put Buckaroo Banzai in something. I think I'll enjoy that more. Still, <laughs> like you know, right. Buckaroo Banzai is a joke because it's another Larry Gasparri movie that I like hated growing up. But I think I would still enjoy Buckaroo Banzai more than this. Like I really dislike this movie like a lot. Um, like I didn't find anything like that spoke to me or appealed to me like at all, except for Mordred's armor. Um, <clears throat> I thought was really cool. 
Um, <clears throat> that's pretty much it. And I liked I, I liked um, Williamson's performance like at times, but I thought the character was just weird and like it didn't really make a lot of sense in the context of the story sometimes. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's your recommendation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got two hours and twenty minutes to kill, and you either want to be like enthralled or disgusted. Like, I, I would. I mean, and I know I'm. Pro- I have to be in the minority because, um, uh, um, you know, the critic you know, scores are weird, really this, high. Like, you know, the audience movie, scores are really high. This is another movie where I love this movie and don't know if I've really ever met anyone that I can talk to mm. about this movie. Yeah. Like, maybe our friend Zeke was yeah. really into it. Like, we shared some... That feels like it would be enjoyment true. Of it. it feels like it would be true. But um, it's not something where it comes up. Like, you know, mm-hmm. for being, like, what I consider to be a pretty pivotal movie in the 80s, mm-hmm. at least from my own perspective, Yeah. like, you know, I'll talk more about Ice Pirates with somebody than I will about Excalibur, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it had pretty good feedback on the Reddit threads I was reading. It's like, I just don't get it. Like, right. it's just something that, like, I, just I just... You. Yeah, I'll just never understand like the love of this movie because it's like people that love it seem to love so many things about it that I just look I mean and full disclosure like we both are not fans of the Lord of the Rings trilogy sure and that's another thing where like you could tell me all day about how great the two towers is and I'll tell you how it made me throw up in the movie you know how much I dislike those I like that more if that tells you anything not to get completely off tangent, but Frankie and I have started watching them again and we're actually through the first two yeah and I'm really enjoying them a lot more yeah. The further I get from actually reading the books. Yeah. So I'm starting to forget. Brandy them. watches them every couple of years and like I catch pieces of them and um, I, um, there's still parts I absolutely loathe. Yeah. Loathe. Like, so you want to talk about like things taking forever, man? Then, like, oh, exactly. I agree. I agree. I agree. You time, time that. Like I guarantee it's more than eight and a half minutes of walking. Well, it was eight and a half minutes of climbing rocks, which is a little different. I bet there. there's more than eight and a half minutes of climbing rocks in the movie. Oh, I'm sure there probably is. It's one of the elements I hate the most. But um, so, all right, all right. So uh, we'll agree to uh, disagree. Uh, I, I, I I acknowledge and respect your love for this movie, mm. but um, I absolutely um, never want to like uh, see it or hear about it like ever again. So. Okay, we'll move on to the number two on the list. All right. Okay, so number two on the list is 1982's Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Earl Jones, and Max Van Cedow. Um, it's rated 70% on Rotten Tomatoes by critics, 74% from audiences. Ebert has it at three stars. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and why you like it? So it's... The origin story of Conan, um, based on uh, Robert Howard's, the titular character, um, from a lot of like short stories that he wrote in, I guess, the 20s, um, takes Conan from like a child who's basically kidnapped from his village uh, through a gladiator into like a wandering bandit slash warrior, and then finally like, leads up to the end where it sort of implies that he'll be a king someday. Um, why I like it. It's it's maybe my favorite example of what I would consider the most pure sword and sorcery in the sense that all of Conan's strength comes from his ability to fight, like, his natural physical strength. But he lives in a world where magic exists and where there's 
wizards and demons and like spirits. Um, I think that I love again like the quest aspect of it, where you know Conan falls in with um, with like another with a thief. Um, he meets a woman that he. I guess maybe sort of falls in love with him. I mean, I don't know if Conan feels love, but he definitely like has like attraction and affection for her. Um, meets an old wizard and they kind of form this like team basically to take down Falsa Doom, who's the villain that slaughtered his village when he was a child. Um, really cool like set pieces. Um, I love the just the grittiness of it. Um, this is going to be hard to explain, but it really, to me, is like the perfect VHS movie in the sense of like watching like a copy that had been watched like a hundred times before and you get like the rewind lines and it just like feels like dirty like watching it. But <clears throat> there's something really like almost like a really like visceral feeling I have of like putting that tape in the the VCR and like watching this movie. Um, again, like very influential to my... Dungeons and Dragons like experiences just in terms of the way they have these different encounters and you know the fact that he's like this you know just this barbarian that's going along with this thief to like you know steal jewels and find riches and whatnot and no I I love James Earl Jones in it and I think that might be my favorite part of the movie is his portrayal of Thalsa Doom um I grew up reading the Conan, the Marvel Conan comics, the very Windsor Smith. Um, it's just, I, I really like the setting a lot. I really like the character a lot. Um, the sequel to this, Conan the Destroyer, is not a very good movie. Like, it's got some good elements to it, but it's much goofier and much more over the top, whereas this really feels like there's, like, a weight to the things that happen in this movie. Like, there's very little, like, comedy to it, but it's more just... You know, them, like, like, it feels, like, brutal when he's, like, killing people and it's got a real, almost, like, adult fantasy feel to it, which is kind of what you get from reading, you know, the Howard stories and the, the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I struggled with whether this was going to be number one or not just because I like this movie so much. Um, but the number one movie, like, deserves to be number one, but... This is a really close second for me, and really one of my favorite movies of the '80s, just in general. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll bring up some of the pieces of criticism here in a moment. Um, I dreaded watching this movie, like absolutely. Like this was one of those. This is one of those movies my father watched all the time, and. Like, every time it was on television, which is a lot in the 80s. Like, he would watch this and Conan the Destroyer. Um, and I'm a big Schwarzenegger fan, I guess, in general. Like, despite how bad the movies are. So I love, like, Commando and Red Heat. And, sure. Um, what's the right movie? Him and James Belushi, right? When he plays, like, the Red Russian. Heat. Yeah, Red Heat. Um, like, I, I like all those movies as cheesy as they are. Like, you know, um, uh, in hindsight. But, um... Like, this is one of the ones I can never get into. Uh, and again, I think it has to do with the setting. Like, this kind of barren, like, you know, wasteland. Like, those things don't interest me, like, whatsoever. Like, very much just like the 
the forest or the wilderness. Like, right. you know, it's it's another thing there. Um, so I really dreaded watching this. Like, and it brings up actually a lot of, like, really bad memories about my father, like, thinking about it. Um, but watching it again, it's like, I, I was nonplussed throughout most of it. Like, but I mean... I think it's a competently done movie. Like, um, I think that it's well performed by the principals in it. Like, James Earl Jones is really good. I think Schwarzenegger is good for not having, like, what, any acting experience at this point, really? Like, if uh, any, very well. Yeah, like, it's like I thought Schwarzenegger did a good job with it overall. Um, You know, I thought, like, the. The other characters, like, you know, were competently performed their roles. Uh, I thought it has some okay set pieces to it. Um, you know, I don't think it holds up as well visually. I think it's very dated, like, kind of... To, the, the, you sparked something in me, like, when you said, like, about the VHS mm-hmm. tapes, like, the dirtiness of it. Like, right. it reminds me of the same kind of dirtiness of, like, 1970s sitcoms that I feel when I watch it, like, um, I've always said all in the family, like, it's like, I want to go take a shower afterwards. Right. Like, it, it just it, makes me feel dirty, that kind of style. It's, it's a lived in world. Yeah. And it, even though there are sets, you know, so there's, there's Thulsa Dooms, like Fortress is a set. Sure. And there's early on, like the gladiatorial pit is a set, but it all feels like, it, it feels like something that, that exists. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel... Like, whereas Legend is, like, so over-the-top visually where it all feels, like, fake almost, really, because yeah. of the fantasy aspect. Like, this feels... You know, when they're in the desert, for instance, like, towards the end, it's kind of almost like um, uh, Ozymandias, right? Like, it's the... Yeah. The ruins, like, rising out of the sands sure. of, like, a once-great civilization and... Yeah just being like utilized by this band of like like murderers and barbarians to whatever like kill their enemies but right. you feel like there's something there that mm-hmm. I don't know there was some importance to it I don't know like I I I really love the feeling of the fantasy world that has like gone through different ages you know and this just happens to be the age that they're in and Conan is like the pivotal figure in that age but this is his coming into that role as opposed to, you know. And I like the fact that you see him from a child and see him, like, growing through, like, his slavery and then... I like the beginning sequence a lot, like, you know, like, of going to his childhood and showing Doom, like, coming and, you know, like, all that happening. Like, and then him being put into slavery. And it's like... But I will say, like, despite that, that's like 10 minutes or so. Like, it takes... 30 minutes like the pacing I think is a little off in this movie and inconsistent like it takes 30 minutes to get to the point with like the witch and everything and like the prophecy right like it, it's it's 30, 30 31 minutes into this movie 32 minutes and like it's it's deep before you really get the story sets set, like gets set off um and it just like and I'll be honest I can't even remember like what they do from the time like he like goes into slavery till then like it's like so it's he's, just, he's pushing the millstone yeah <laughs> For a while. Yeah. And then they turn him into a gladiator. So right, you got yeah, like, yeah, the yeah, montage I, yeah, of him killing people yeah, as a gladiator. Yeah. And then it's the Riddle of Steel where they're in like the yeah. encampment and oh. then he's set free. He finds the sword that he thinks is from Krom. Yeah. And kills the wolves. Yeah, and see that sequence and then like, you know, 
there's parts of the middle where it's like, I feel like, okay, these things are happening and it's like, I have no real investment in them. Again, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought that it was like, it, it just doesn't appeal to me. Like, it's, so to, to call back to like the Excalibur like mm-hmm. criticism, right? Like, I think that the fact that I knew, like, even at the age I saw this, I probably saw this when I was like eight or nine, yeah. maybe. I already knew who Conan was. Like, I already was familiar with that character. Yeah. <clears throat> so knowing those things and, like, knowing some backstory kind of lends, like, some importance to yeah. seeing this stuff. I just thought, like, and then by the end, it's like, I like the set piece at the end, like, you know, when he's going to, when he goes and kills Doom. Um, I, I felt like, even at the end, it's like, I get the realism aspect of it, of, like, how quickly it happens, but at the same time, it's really, like, um, there's not much payoff, like, to me. Sort of anticlimactic, sure. Yeah, and, um. So, and I, I think that's important, because his whole life has led to him killing the man that killed his mother and father. Yeah, right. And ultimately, it's unrewarding. And sure. it's unrewarding sort of for you as a viewer, because then the acolytes and stuff just kind of disperse, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of unrewarding for him, because yeah. he's meant for much greater things. Sure. And even though Conan and the Destroyer is not a great movie, that was supposed to be the lead-in, was to make this sure. series of films like showing him... And ultimately, that's what I took away from it was, like, that whole thing that, you know, that I always quote all the time. It's like, there's two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire, the other is to gain it. It's yeah. like, what do you do after you've succeeded in the thing that, you know, you've been wanting for all this time? Like, what what is there? What really is there? Like, when you do that, like, there's always just going to be something else. Or there's going to be an emptiness. So, you know, it's not, maybe not, doesn't fill you the way you think it will. <clears throat> but, um... But overall, like, I thought it was a competent movie. Um, I liked it certainly better than Excalibur. I liked it... I, I think it's a more... I, I, li- I enjoyed watching Legend more, but I thought this is a better movie, probably. Um, ultimately, coming away from it, this was the one watching it that made me realize, I think, another reason why I dislike some of these movies is... And it, I think it's a thing that's very particular to the 1980s. And it's like... The fun aspect, like, the adventure aspect ties into it, like, having a sense of humor and not taking itself too serious, and I think this movie takes itself way too seriously at times. Um, it, it wants it to be weighty. Like, you know, Milius wants this to be, like, you know, a weighty story, like, you know, where things matter. Like you said, you feel things matter. It's like he wants things to matter. Right. It's like, um, but I think there is this rugged individualism that's like thematically there and it makes perfect sense when you think about it about like the Reagan era like there's this rugged individualism that goes through a lot of these movies that I find um in some aspects just in some aspects I just find the, the whole concept dull um and uninteresting and um like uh pretentious Okay. And then there's other aspects of it, I find it horrifying. Like, you know, the, this idea that, like, you know, um, so it's like, they're all like these, you know, and this is common in fantasy, but it's like, there's all, they're always, like, a lot of times they're revenge tales of some sort. Sure. Like, you know, like, going back to get something that was taken or to kill someone because something was taken. It's like, so that's, that's very common. But I mean, um, these characters, like, a lot of times are like these humorless you know, people that have built themselves up to be, 
these great heroes, you know, and, um, you know, and ultimately it's about them. It's not about the group a lot of times. It's about, like, they're destined to do something, like, and, you know, that kind of manifest destiny bullshit that, like, you know, Reagan and them, like, spouted a lot during that time period, I think manifests itself in the cinema at the time, too, and I think in the stories that are told in books and stuff like that. Um, And it's like, I... I, I find that, like, you know, I, it's always surprising when you, when you like these movies to me, like, a lot, because it's, like, these are the type of movies that, like, I feel, like, people that are, like, you know, three life decisions away from living in the wilderness, like, you know, with no electronics and stuff, like, it's the type, these are the type of movies they like, um, and, and, and it makes sense to me that they like them, because these characters are designed for them. Like, in a lot of ways to me. And I think I find those characters to be, one, something I can't emotionally relate to, and at times, through some of their actions, abhorrent characters. Right, so I actually... It's actually funny that you use Manifest Destiny, because that's exactly what I was going to use, but in the positive aspect. Mm. Like, I really like... I find it really appealing, the idea of... You're in control of your own destiny, and you're going out into the unknown to achieve it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I, find it really... And this is why, like, I love Westerns as much as I do and why I like movies like this as much mm-hmm. as I do. Because the idea that it's all about your own personal ability that's going to help you achieve whatever goal it is you want to achieve, I mean, that's... I think at, at its core, that's the heart of what America is, right? Like, that's us, is that we're... We are individualists, and we are innovators, and we are, you know, I mean, and obviously, like, I don't want to go out and stab somebody with a sword, you know. Understood. I I understand what you're saying. I I mean, I I think that is certainly a way that history has portrayed us to some degree, and I think in some ways it's true. Yes. Uh And there's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, personal glory, really. Like, I... You know, you, you watch the Man With No Name trilogy, the mm-hmm. Sergio Leone mm-hmm. movies with Eastwood, right? Yeah. And he's Conan, basically. But he's yeah. Conan with a six-shooter, right? Sure. Like, And Conan is bested at times. You know, mm-hmm. he's not always... He doesn't always come out on top of a situation. Yeah. He needs his friends to, like, save him from being crucified in the middle of the desert. Sure. But ultimately, it's him realizing his destiny and this is you know one of the reasons why i love joseph campbell so much because that's that's the hero's journey right like that's Mm -hmm. the core of like all mythology is the idea that you know gilgamesh has compatriots but gilgamesh is ultimately the hero of that story yeah and i think ultimately like in and and this could be another factor of all this is that i usually find the the sidekicks or like the auxiliary characters to the hero much more interesting in a lot of these movies that have that hero's journey that Campbell aspect to them right I find those characters so it's like I find Han Solo much more interesting than I do like Luke Skywalker like I don't find Luke Skywalker that interesting when it comes down to it I understand he's the hero I understand that he's the main character and I don't even dislike him but I don't find him interesting where it's like Han Solo and that kind of like humanity of, you know, Han, Han Solo 
just to make the analogy, like Han Solo, like Luke going and being a hero and learning his destiny of being a Jedi and like having that character arc where it just goes up, 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 you know, until like, you know, oh, there's a brief down period and then up again. It's like, he's always good and he's going to continue to be good. The idea that like Han Solo is a ruffian with a heart of gold who values one thing, his life, and another thing, money, um, but still chooses to disregard those things for a greater good right. is a much more interesting and <clears throat> likable character to me than the guy that I'm supposed to like all the way through, really. Um, and I feel that way with a lot of these heroes in these movies, is that I'm just supposed to like them because they're good and they're virtuous and they're likable. And, you know, they're destined to do something great. And but Conan is not good or virtuous or likable. He's not. Conan's he's not. a, yeah. I mean, he's a barbarian. And sure. he's yeah. somebody that... Yeah. But I think, I think it still remains the same in the context of that world. Like, even, because the world is cruel and barbaric. Sure. You know, so I mean, um, so I think in the context of the world, it still is kind of similar to some degree to me. So, I mean, paradigms aren't necessarily interesting anyway mm -hmm. but like that the that archetype is an important part of like storytelling sure so the reason you have han solo or in this movie you have um subotai or whatever sure, yeah. thief, mm -hmm. is because you need to have a human element yeah. to be a foil not not even a foil but like to be able to like show the true virtue of the hero, yeah. right? And that's why there is always, like, companions in yeah. their stories. But, I mean, I don't think it, like, diminishes the importance of the hero. I think it just makes it a, a good, like, story. It makes yeah. it a watchable movie, right? Like, yeah. you couldn't just have Conan by himself going around forever because then it would... Number yeah, one, sure. No, I, I, I like the idea that he has other people around him. That's not what I'm criticizing, necessarily. I just find those other characters more interesting than the main character. Right. I don't know. I guess it just... Like, I like the humanity of the other characters, where it feels like to me like some of these heroes are almost inhuman because they are destined to do this one thing. And it's either they're going to succeed or they're going to fail. And they're always going to succeed, because right. the movie doesn't exist without them succeeding to some degree. I mean, it's interesting, because it's we, we've had this argument before, years ago, about Ayn Rand. You mm -hmm. know, whereas I'm very much, and maybe a little less as I get older, but mm -hmm. I really do believe in, like, exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important for people to be... Like celebrated as individuals for their talents and accomplishments and skills, you know. But you do. I don't. I don't disagree with that. I disagree with it. Like you know, the movie's not like rewarding them or acknowledging them. It's glorifying them, and like that's what a movie does to some degree to the sure. character. And I think that's where it's like that's where I probably would draw the line to some degree where I find it less interesting is when I'm supposed to hold them up to, like, this extremely, like, high standard. But Conan... Conan doesn't start with that standard. And again, like... is beaten down and crucified mm -hmm. at one point. So he falls to, like, a pretty low point and needs to be saved by the people that he's come to rely on. I mean, you know... Given the religious symbolism of our times, sure, is, that, sure, sure. is that really, like, him being beaten... I mean, in some way, symbolically, it's him being elevated... Well, no, because he goes to Doom's fortress and disguises himself as the priest mm. and leaves his friends behind because yeah. he needs to do it by himself. Right. And isn't actually successful until he goes back with all of them. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and doesn't beat sure. Doom's yeah. henchmen until he, right. you know, enlists the aid of Super Kai, who sure. has his own skills to complement him. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird that like that's what you like take out of it. I, I just, yeah. I I really like the idea of Conan as a character, and I like, and again, it's just my own personal appreciation for. Almost I, like low mm-hmm. fantasy is what I would call this because it is really based on one person stabbing another person to death in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, I don't know. Um, Ebert, Ebert really, uh, Ebert gave it three out of four stars on um, this movie. Uh, although I think there's a little shade. He says that it's the perfect fantasy for an alienated pre-adolescent. Uh, but uh, I thought the more interesting thing in Ebert's review um I mean, he criticizes it some where he says that, like, you know, um, but it's the criticism he has of every sword and sorcery movie, pretty much. But he says that uh, after the, the initial premise is established, we suspect there's little to look forward to except for the set, special effects, costumes, makeup, locations, action, and the surprise entrances. Almost by definition, these movies exclude the possibility of interesting, complex characters. I'd love to see them set loose an intelligent, questing, questing humorous hero in one of these prehistoric sword swingers. Um, and I think he and I are probably a little alike in the sense that, like, I find, like, the tough, stiff upper lip hero, like, such an exhausting, boring, like, story, like, most of the time. It just has its own place, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Not, not everything... One of your favorite movies is... From this time period, Big Trouble in Little China. Absolutely, yeah. And Jack Burton is 100% a much more human, complex character yeah. than yeah. Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has, like... I mean, he, partly because he's an idiot, yeah. Right. And <laughs> even though, like, there's a lot of bombast to Kurt Russell's performance, sure, there's, yeah. there's nuance to, yeah. to Jack Burton. There is, yeah. Conan yeah. isn't nuanced. Yeah. Conan is a force, right? Sure. But, like, to me, there's a place for both of those things. Yeah. Right? Like, there's not a whole lot of nuance to um, Clint Eastwood in, right. you know, the sure. Leone trilogy. Yeah. But yeah. it still is a... You still can be interested in those movies because they're mm-hmm. so well done. And no matter how you feel about John Milius and his, like, political points of view and, mm-hmm. like, eventually, you know, whatever, what he became, mm-hmm. I think you can definitely see that Milius knows how to direct a movie. Yes. And... That's what I said. It's very competently done. There's some really good. I don't deny that. Really all. good scenes in it. You yeah. know, there's yeah. a That's... really good sense of adventure. Like when they're first sneaking into the one like palace where they kill the giant snake. Like I, I love that scene. I think it's very, yeah, very. Cool. It's got some humor to it, and it's got yeah. some tension to it. No, I mean, like I said, it's very competent. It's like there's nothing necessarily to me that like you know I watch and I'm like, oh man, like I that's so amazing. But it's like. It's 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 appropriate for the movie. Like throughout the cinematography is solid throughout. Like sure. it's it's just a solidly executed movie um, with no performances that I think stand out that make it weak. Like necessarily. Right. Like I just think that it's it's a competent movie that I'm not that interested in the content of it or the character of Conan. Uh, but I, I acknowledge that it's 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 a decent screenplay overall. I think there's a pacing issues at times. Um, especially in the beginning, like more so than anything. You know what else is interesting? We don't really talk about this too much, but, um, both of us have played like a lot of video games over the course Mm -hmm. of our lives. And I think another difference too, is that I've always loved 
like the turn-based role-playing game mm-hmm. that's based on like some flimsy premise of like starting a quest and then sure. like going through this like fantasy world and doing these things. Yeah. And that's never been like your cup of tea. No, not at all. And I, I like watching people play on though. I, I think another part of why I like things like Conan and Excalibur mm-hmm. and Legend and Crawl is because it's like watching that in short form. You know, whereas I would spend 70 hours playing a Final Fantasy game to achieve the same feeling. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there, there's just something really appealing to me about about a world that's familiar enough where it's not like something on Star Trek. So it's, it's something where you can recognize like a human element to it, but it's fantastical enough where it draws you away from the real world that we live in. And I just... Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I, I love those things, and I like, I like watching, like, people hit each other with swords, I guess, yeah. which is really appealing to me. There's one thing I noticed, and then when I read Ebert's review, he does mention it, um, and he acknowledges that maybe he's being too sensitive when he says this, but I, I, I think it's just, I would like to get your reaction to it. Um, he says there's one aspect of the film that I'm disturbed by, and involves the handling of Thulus Doom, the villain. He's played by a fine black actor, James Earl Jones, who brings power and conviction to the role. It seems inspired in equal parts by Hitler, Jim Jones, and Gold, Goldfinger. But when Conan and Doom meet at the top of the mountain of power, it was for me a rather rather unsettling image to see the Nordic Superman confronting a black, and when Doom's head is sliced off and potentially thrown down the flight of stairs by the muscular blonde Conan, I found myself thinking that Reifenstahl could have directed the scene and the Goebbels might have applauded. Um, I, I, I notice like the kind of like Nordicness of like, you know, the, a lot of the people like in that movie. And, um, I thought about that. Like, there's like really like this one black, um, character and like what happens there. And I do think Ebert's being too sensitive. Like it, 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 it crossed my mind. Like, you know, that's, that's interesting. Like, you know, I don't think that was probably intentional like whatsoever. So the. But I do think it's like a... also Doom commands two Nordic barbarian men who are incredibly loyal and sure. supremely devoted to him, mm-hmm. and he's not. He's only the character is only a black man because it's played by a black actor. Mm-hmm. Like there's never any mention made of Thalsa being of a different race mm-hmm. or being lesser or anything i mean if anything he's he's the master race for the like the majority of the movie like Mm -hmm. him and his acolytes because they're the ones like raiding towns and enslaving people so i mean i i guess like i i'm pretty sure probably like i i emilius's politics to some degree were known around like even when this movie was made i believe sure um and i think that um i'm I'm sure ebert kind of has that in the back of his mind too like i said i thought about it but then i thought about the plot of the movie and i dismissed it so the only thing that bothers me in this movie honestly the thing that and really it hasn't come up yet because it doesn't happen in any of the well it happens a little bit in excalibur but is, like, the rapiness of it. Mm. Like, that's the thing that I find to be difficult to watch in these movies. Sure. So there's the Beastmaster series, which is basically a ripoff of Conan. Mm -hmm. So much rape, like, Mm -hmm. in those movies. And even in this one, like, early on, when Conan's in his cage and they give him the woman to, like, breed with or whatever. Right. And they try and present it like, oh, well, he's being a little bit of a gentleman, and he's still raping her. Right. And so that is a little uncomfortable to Mm -hmm. me. 
I agree. And I, I feel like, obviously, our social mores have changed somewhat mm-hmm. that you can't really show that as, like, a titillating thing anymore. Yeah. And it never should have been shown as a titillating thing. But, yeah. I mean, that's what they were trying to do was just, like, yeah. give you an excuse to see some boobs. I'll defend Eber a little bit, not in the opinion about that particular scene, but just in the sense I think um, contextually, I mean, thinking back to, like, the early 1980s, like... Eber is progressive as thinking about probably the lack of black actors in a lot of movies right. and stuff like that. And then one gets cast and like, you know, this is the role that they cast him in. And so I can, I can see a little bit where, why he might be a little sensitive, even if I don't believe what he's saying ultimately is sure. true. And I understand that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole different conversation, yeah. but in the context of very specifically that movie, who Thulsa Doom is sure. and what's happening there. Yeah. That's just the good guy beating the bad guy. And yeah. honestly, again, because it's never, no mention in this movie at all of anyone being a different race. And there's a lot of people of different races. Like Subotai is played by an Asian mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. and um, the wizard is played by an Asian actor. And sure. I mean, even Conan, I mean, he is Nordic, but, you know, he's not an American. I don't know. Yeah. No, I just wanted to get your response. I think because also- I thought it was an interesting. Also, Doom, in my opinion, is actually one of the most, like, complex and powerful villains in, like, this this genre of film. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of... I, no, I agree. Yes. I, a the lot villains. of... There's more nuance to Thulsa Doom's character in, like, his motivations yeah. and his justifications for his actions than there ever is in Conan. I mean, Thulsa Doom is far sure. more interesting a character than Conan. Is. No, agreed. Yeah. <clears throat> but ultimately... He's the most. He's the best villain on this list. Yeah, Conan. even 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 more than Darkness, who I like, but it's he's much more complex and nuanced. I mean, Conan kills him because Conan's getting revenge for his family. Sure, and that's it. Sure, like otherwise, Conan wouldn't even care that Falsehood yeah. exists because it doesn't affect him. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I didn't dislike it necessarily, even though I thought I would really like hate it. Like it's just bad memories, and I um. I just think it's a competent movie that's, you know, I don't, like, hold up to any high standard, but I also have bias there, I think. Yeah, so. I would I would say, even without, like, the, like, rose-tinted lenses of my, like, nostalgia yeah. that I have for a lot of this stuff, I would say it's, it's more than competent. I, I think it's a good movie. Yeah. And I think it holds up. I think you can watch it today and still enjoy it and, like, contextually take the same thing that you took from it then with some minor, like, cringiness to the way that things are portrayed. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and move on to number one, which, um, to me, like, even though it's a slightly different tone, um, it's kind of what Eber was looking for when he said he wanted to see them set loose an intelligent, questing, humorous right. hero. Um, uh, number one is uh, Rob Reiner's The Princess Bride from 1987, starring Carrie Ewells, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant, Chris Sarandon, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn, and there's probably others I could sit there and mention, but... Um, um, a pretty, like, in hindsight, star-studded cast. Has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, a 94% from audiences. Um, certainly the highest in terms of critical and uh, audience praise. Um, Ebert has it at 3.5 stars uh, out of 4. Um, did you want to go ahead and just tell us a little bit about this movie and why you like it so much? Um, I think most people have probably seen Princess Bride. Probably. Um, so, just brief. Yeah. Um, Buttercup lives on a farm, has a farmhand, Wesley, orders him to do things all the time, and his response is always as you wish. 
Um, they eventually fall in love and agree to get married, but he wants to go out and seek his fortune. So it comes back that he was attacked and killed by the Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, so she stays chased for five years, waiting for him to return, but eventually like falls to the entreaties of Prince Humperdinck, um, who wants to marry her. Um, turns out that Wesley is not dead, that he actually is the Dread Pirate Roberts. He comes back to save her, basically from Humperdinck before the wedding night. Humperdinck has other intentions anyway because he's going to murder her on the wedding night to justify a war with Florida as a country they live in, whatever the other country is. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, and then there's just a lot of, like, adventure that happens in between. A lot of, some of the best, like, character actor work in the 1980s. I mean, yeah. really, this is, I think, maybe, it's definitely top five movies in the 80s for me and maybe, like, top three. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, like, I, I love this movie. More than almost any other movie, like just period. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great quotable dialogue, um, a lot of performances by actors that would eventually go on to become like mainstays, you know, of like film in the eighties. Um, Billy Crystal has a great role in it. Um, Andre the Giant, fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Carrie Ola's maybe like definitely the best thing that he's done and. Arguably, like, one of the only good things that he's done because he's been in some terrible movies. Yeah. Um, Well-paced. It's got the the backdrop of the grandfather telling his grandson, like, a story while he's sick. Oh, right, Peter Fox and the thing. And Fred yeah. Savage aren't even on the list. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. Just, like, start to finish, it's incredibly engaging. Um, it's so well-plotted and paced where you are continuously engaged in what's occurring. Um, it's got some really great set pieces that don't feel like set pieces because they flow so well into the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, again, some of the most quotable lines I think of any movie from the 80s in the, my name is Nico Montoya, you feel my father prepared to die. Mm-hmm. The Sicilian thing from Wallace Shawn, The As You Wish. Mm-hmm. Um, the Andre the Giant rhyming, you know, would anybody like a peanut? Yeah. Um, ah, the... Holocaust cloak or whatever they call it or apocalypse is it Holocaust cloak I can't um, yeah I know yeah. everything about it like Humperdinck is so great yeah. um, Christopher, Christopher, Christopher Guest, Guest as, as, uh, actually menacing right like, and like a performance is like like every performance in the movie treads this really fine line between like utterly sincere and 100% tongue in cheek and it, it does it so well that like you never feel like any character is absolutely a joke but you never feel like any character is so, I don't know, like, serious that you can't, like, smile at something that they mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I, just everything about it. It's just such a great movie. It falls into this category because there is a lot of sword fighting in it. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, a lot of, like, fantastical elements, like the mm-hmm. screaming eels and the rodents of unusual mm-hmm. size. and. Yeah. The Fire Swamp. I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely got, like, a fantasy, like, adventuring element. Sure. Um, yeah. I, watching this again, and I've seen bits and pieces here and there, like, a number of times over the past ten years, and I watched this movie a lot as a kid. Like, I've always, I loved it then. I still love it just as much, like, even now. Like, and watching it again, like, with a more critical eye, I, um... <clears throat> I was actually like more stunned like thinking of it from like like a 
more of like you know a, a writing element of it like where how it's fast paced without ever feeling rushed like there's when you really think about like the way that the screenplay is structured there's like these three core segments so it's like okay like there's the exposition like that's only last five minutes or so but it's like then it's like you know the the chasing like the princess like where you know there's like the boat chasing like you know wallace shawn's character right. and you know uh, you know um inigo montoy and andre the giant so um there's that whole sequence like that's one act then there's the act of like her finding out like that the dread prior robertson is actually wesley exactly. and then like there's that whole middle section where it's like he's taken by Humperdinck and he's tortured and to, to the point of death then he she has to marry Humperdinck and Andre has to go get you know Inigo who's coming drunk again and they've um you know and they go like rescue him and then there's the storming the castle sequence and right. it's like it's three acts like three perfect acts you know of like okay we're trying to rescue the princess but there's still like a hint of danger to it because who is this guy and then there's like you know the the love regained and the love lost, and then you know these secondary characters coming and rescuing him, and then the three of them going and storming the castle together, you know, in order to rescue her. And it's really just well organized, like well structured. Um, watching it again, like you're like I think. Some will say that the writing's too clever, possibly, but it's like I, it's it's very clever writing um, throughout it, and um, I think it's has created some of the more well-established and iconic characters, sure. like that you can imagine. I mean, every character in the movie is memorable. Sure, Miracle yeah. Max and his wife. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, you're right. Every character, even like the um, the albino that sure. Rugen has down in like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. torture device. Uh-huh. I mean, that's it's a very again like tongue in cheek to a point, sure. but still with an element of menace and seriousness to it. Where I don't know, like all of it is just so yeah. And so it's like you know, and it's like you know, and you think you were talking about some of the quotables and stuff like that. There, it's just things that people know and remember, right. and it's like you know, names of characters that people remember. It's like you know. Um, but it's like, you know, I, but there's some really just like good character building that takes place early on in this movie where it's like, you know, after that first 25 minutes, you know, exactly the type of person that Wesley slash Dread Prior Roberts is. Right. You know exactly who Buttercup is. You know who Inigo Montoya is. Like that's, I would, I would put the first 25 minutes like, you know cut the exposition out like that first 20 25 minutes i would put up against a lot of movies in terms of just building x building character and giving exposition and while making an interesting adventure at the same time like the fact that like that sequence where wesley's climbing up the rocks and which again climbing rocks but it's like they do it in this humorous way you know, where it's like he doesn't have like a rope anymore and he's trying to climb and, and he Throwing goes the boulders at him. Right. But then Amigo's like trying to like you know, he's waiting for him to kill him and they have this like exchange and he helps him up and lets him rest and it's like you see immediately that 
Montoya is this honorable sure. man who's, yeah, he's fallen on hard times and working for this villain, but it's like he's this honorable man. And Wesley's so kind and, like, you know, to him, it's like, you know, no, you've been more than fair, like, you know, giving me this rest, you know. Um, and then, like, the fact that, like, like throughout the course of the fight, you find out, like, they're just one-upping each other, like, by using their wrong hands. Right. And, like, right. um, I mean, it's so well done. It's like, you know, and you, they build up Montoya's, like, this excellent swords fighter and then you find out Wesley can beat him and then it's like you know it's these trials you know it's like here's a sword fighter here's the giant and it's like he uses his speed to you know beat the giant and then of course they beat it over your head when he gets to Wallace Shawn and Wallace Shawn says you bested my you know giant and blah but um and then he wins the battle of wits but it's like it creates it's he's a it creates a baby face out of Wesley like you know like within that time to where it's like you're wholly invested in that character exactly you know, and, and, and his love for her now, like, you know, you know is true. And the other thing, too, is, like, I mean, Humperdinck is, like, a despicable villain, but yes. they never make him... The fact that Humperdinck can come and, like, look at the patterns of dust, like, on top of the cliff, uh-huh. and yeah. figure out exactly what happened and where people went, right. like, that's, I mean, that's brilliant, like, writing. Yeah, sure. To take a villain that could have been, like, a joke, kind of. Mm-hmm. Which eventually, in the end, like he sort of becomes, mm-hmm. but like, in, well, he's like, just a coward. He's not right. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's actually very smart and very cunning. Like he's just a coward. Yeah, I, yeah. And, I mean, Goldman's script is one of the. I know again, like writing from his own like work. So sure, you know, but like really, just tight. Like all the dialogue is crisp. You, you said too smart, but or too clever. But some I don't people know. will say it's too clever at times. I always, I always hate that argument. And like sometimes I think that it can be like a little too. I, I think it's just because it's all so memorable mm-hmm. that maybe you might feel that. Yeah. And it kind of leads into something I was, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Goonies when we were watching it last week, and how in the nineteen nineties, like everything became. The tagline, right? Like, you mm-hmm. had to have, like, the you've been erased or whatever. Like, sure. every movie had to have a tagline. And I think that a lot of that feeling comes from movies like Princess Bride, mm-hmm. where it's not a tagline. It's just that the dialogue is so good and so memorable. And the same thing with Goonies, that, like, you quote it, and they wanted to, like, it's trying to, like, force, inorganically force that love of, like, dialogue or a line from a movie by making it something you just repeat over and over, it gets stuck on a button, right. like that you get at the movie theater, mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, like this movie definitely is not that, and it's it's, I like almost flawless. I would say like I can't think of anything about this movie that I don't yeah like or that I I think growing up I think which is odd because I think it was kind of the some the some degree meant for kids, but it's like I think the Miracle Max stuff, um, him and his wife like. Was the thing that I disliked, that sequence was the thing I disliked the least when I was younger. Um, But watching it this time, like, I think there's so many, like, and it's like one of the few times there's these, like, meta jokes in it about today um, that come up that where it's like, it still feels like, to me, it's the thing that's out of sequence a little bit. Um, Like, some of, like, the jokes, and I don't know if, like, Billy Crystal had any influence because it seems very Billy Crystal esque, yeah. like the jokes and stuff like that. Like, but um, 
hard to ever separate Billy Crystal from any character that he's playing. No, I agree. He's just Billy Crystal. He's just, right. No, I agree. Um, but I still love the dynamic between him and Carol Kane, like, right. you know, in that scene. And um, Carol Kane's, like, one of my favorites. Like, uh, you know, I'm glad she got a little bit of a renaissance with Kimmy Schmidt now. But um, I've always loved her. But, um, yeah, I always thought that little, if I'm being critical, I always thought that sequence, like, stood out a little bit to me as, like, but... It's still funny and right. it moves the plot along, and it's not that long. It's only like four or five yeah, minutes. Four or five minutes. Yeah. Um, I've really like appreciated Andre this time watching it, and maybe it's just because he's not, you know, like I, it's one of the first time I've watched all the way through. Um, maybe like you know, like since it's like the documentary and stuff oh, okay. like that. Like you know, like thinking about like his life and knowing how much he really loved. I mean, Andre really loved that he was in this movie. Right. Like, he would show it to his friends and make them watch it and stuff. And um, I think it's, it's the first time I've watched it since, like, all that kind of stuff a couple of years ago. And um, But it's like, he's he's good in it. Like, you know, Andre, for what he needs to be. Like, Andre's great in it. And it's like, I love that character of just, like, you know, how, you know, generally is. And it's like, how, how fair he is. Like, you know, right. it's like that he throws the rock at Wesley... Like, you know, and he's like, oh, I could have hit you, but, like, yeah, I wanted to give you a fair fight. Like, I mean, it's just, they're such good people. Like, you know, there's not a character that you don't like to some degree. Right. And it's like, I, I think that's amazing in this day and age that you can write a bunch of characters that people, even in their villainy, are engaging. are engaging and likable to some degree, you know, like, or at least memorable, like, you know. Um, and I think that's really hard, and I think that's a that's a big credit to Goldman. Um for creating all of that, um, who we just today um, lost. Yeah, I found out that we lost. Yeah, yeah. and um, but um, and I know this is adapted from his 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 own work. Um, but um, I mean, Goldman has for a lot of his life like a long, you know, long resume. Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid, like being you know one of his biggest right. um, earliest. Earliest and like you know probably is maybe it was most famous like out of all of cinema like for him at least anyway and then all the presidents men um, marathon man yeah. um, magic which is one of my like secret favorite that's the Anthony Hopkins mm, yeah the, mm, that's a solid Andrew movie yeah. Um, yeah misery he wrote yeah he wrote did a screenplay for misery um, the original heat. Um, he did a screenplay for yeah. Chaplin. He did the screenplay for, and then it starts getting into some of the '90s stuff. That's a little. Um, um, he was a script doctor on that. Um, he has tons of stuff that he's a script doctor for right. that are really good. Um, like really good. Like he gets starts getting into things like uh, Maverick and um, General's yeah. Absolute Power, The Chamber, <laughs> Absolute Power. That's terrible. Movie. Yeah, right. Uh, Hearts of Atlantis, Dreamcatcher. Like you know, there's like lots of stuff that he starts doing and then he just kind of fades away yeah. um after 2003 but um tons of stuff that he did script doctoring work for uh that was really well done in the 80s uh he um uh definitely had a um an ear for dialogue i yeah. think an ear for creating uh uh, little nuances of character like you know idiosyncrasies that didn't feel necessarily um, forced in any way, like that felt like kind of like natural, like to sure. the character. I mean, I think, but <coughs> pardon me, I think Butch Cassidy is a good example of that, like just building that camaraderie between the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, Marathon Man again, like just an example of 
like almost the complete opposite direction. Because Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is sort of similar in tone to The Princess Bride, where it is just kind of like an adventure. Um, but Marathon Man is a very dark movie. And, like, definitely, tonally, like, completely different. But just so well done. So well written. Um, but back to Princess Bride. Uh, just from that perspective of, like... Like I said, like, it's it's a world that is almost believable in the sense that you could you can feel like a human element to it while being fantastical enough that it's completely different than the world that we live in. And it's just so it Rob Reiner too, like does an amazing job directing this movie where like the whole movie is just so it's pretty when it needs to be. And it's like dark and dank when it needs to be. And it's, feels expansive at times and claustrophobic at times and he just does such a good job of like tailoring the way he directs the scene to how you're supposed to feel in the scene Mm -hmm. um without ever getting in the way of the story or anything like there's Mm -hmm. nothing nothing directorially that you feel that he's i don't know like flexing his talent at the expense of the story that's being told or the performances that are you know being created, just yeah. I don't know, just such such a fun movie. Yeah, do you think Dave Kerr liked the movie? God, I don't know. I don't. Um, I'm sure he thought it was derivative or something. <laughs> like he probably felt that ultimately it doesn't pay off. I, I don't know. Whatever. Like Dave, 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 Dave Kerr's an asshole. He gave it three out of four. Yeah, um, that's surprising. Other than he shits <laughs> So he says that, um, he says that Reiner wants to evoke a nostalgic glow and return to simpler, nobler past where stories were related in the warm, personal tones of an individual voice instead of being channeled through today's interpersonal uh, electronic media. It's a sweet idea, and it might have worked had the Princess Bride really taken Falk's voice as its own, but the film constantly second guesses Falk's narrative, smuggling and sarcasm distance and cartoonish exaggeration behind his back the device of the book is only a sentimental cover the actual content of the film couldn't be more contemporary in its quest for hitness flip humor and a sense of superiority to its deliberately trite material behind and over the voice of peter falk is the voice of david letterman okay so number one like most of that's wrong like it's not it's not flip or sarcastic i mean it's it's very sweet and genuine it, like it, most of it you, you could you could argue like um saccharine like maybe maybe, maybe I, 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 I might yeah I, I might be able to, I, I might be able to see that <laughs> argument but not sarcastic i still would think you're a jaded fuck like if that's sure, your take yeah. on it but okay like i i'll accept that i mean i i, I rewatched um Pushing Daisies recently. And it's like, that's a criticism that was leveled at that. And, like, I can see it. But it's like, you know... But I think that there are similarities in some of the tone between some, a show sure. like that and this. And, um... But, yeah, I still think, yeah, you're right. You're a jaded fuck if you, like, right. you know, like I mean, criticize it's... it for that. For, you know, trying to still maintain some sort of sweetness and innocence of that's, that life. That shows a person that has no sense of humor. That doesn't understand... Well, I think we've learned that about Kerr, though, probably. Well, right. I mean, he's a piece yeah. of shit. But, no, no offense, Dave Kerr. 
but you can like something can make you laugh and still have emotional import to it right mm-hmm. like it's yeah I don't know yeah. that, that that's maybe one of the worst <laughs> most inappropriate like criticisms he's ever had of something yeah um, there is no David Letterman in in The Princess Bride. Yeah. Maybe in the voice of Miracle Max. Maybe. There's like some of that like kind of sarcasm sure. and like, you know. Okay, but so that's it. Again, for your four and a half sure, minutes right, yeah. he's in the movie. Right, yeah. And I think that's Billy, I still think that's Billy Crystal. Like that's just. Terrible. Right, and, but again, like the whole point of that character that you learn in that brief period of time yeah. Is that he was burned by the king, sure, and doesn't want to use his abilities sure. right. anymore yeah. because so of course he's cynical and right. like you know, and yeah. Carol Kane brings him back, like right. his wife like sure. brings him back and forces yeah. him to do the right thing. I agree. It's I almost s- like a condemnation of like yeah. the sarcastic, whatever, like quitter attitude. I don't know. I just, I just, I we had I hadn't brought up Dave Kerr and right. I and I wanted to I wanted to bring him up once and. Um, I probably couldn't argue with his criticism of anything else. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. He. Um, if, I would say, like, to move past Princess Bride, yeah. um, if you've never seen it, like, you definitely need to see it. And yeah. I think it's a movie. I I don't know who it doesn't appeal to, but I don't know if I want to meet that person. Yeah. Um. I think it's got a universal appeal. I think it's mm-hmm. again, like, seriously, maybe one of my top three movies in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Um, especially for like a major studio release, like it's definitely far and above like almost anything else. Just in terms of its like rewatchability and the fact mm-hmm. that it holds up so completely, like and it's tight too. It's like what ninety eight minutes or yeah, something. It's, I think it's, like you know it's you know yeah it's a it's a it's a tight it's a really tight tightly constructed movie. Yeah, they just keep it moving. For yeah, them. right. But it doesn't feel rushed, like I said. No. Like mm-hmm. you know, it feels like it's a complete story. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's our list for the week. Um, uh, like I said, we'll be taking uh, a break next week for Thanksgiving. And then in two weeks, we'll be back with a third band series looking at the best movie of Wes Anderson, uh, with a friend of ours, Jason Heaster is him and Frank, um, you know, each take on a different Wes Anderson movie. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, in the meantime, I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving and if you're traveling, please be safe. Have a good night. Have a good night.